Welcome to the Anything Goes podcast, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a new episode. And I know it's been a little while since the last one. And don't worry, folks, I have a guest with me. It's not a solo show with me again, just babbling into a mic for half an hour that I sound really incoherent and really annoying. I apologize for that. I just had to get a few things uh, off my chest about a few movies, and I thought you guys would be interested. But I have a guest with me, and he is, um, how would I describe him? He is known by many names. Some people kind of refer him as a galactic scumbag, whether from Westeros to a galaxy far, far away. To me, he's just a really cool guy, as in Guy Melks of real fans for real movies. Guy, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Greetings and salutations to all your listeners. All right, and how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. All right, all right. As you can tell from the title, we're going to be talking about our favorite Alfred Hitchcock movies. But before we dive into that, let's let's hear the theme song. So let's jump into our favorite Hitchcock movies right now. <laughs> So, before we actually get into our list, um, let's talk about our history with Alfred Hitchcock's movies to begin with. So, Guy, when did you get first introduced to his movies in general? Um, I was a young pup. Um, I watched uh, Psycho was my first Alfred Hitchcock movie, and I watched it with my parents. Um, and, and then I kind of fell out for a while, but I always went back to psycho i never realized his his extensive background because i was like i said i was a a young pup of under 15 you know young preteen and uh so i was more into the the modern movies at the time which we all tend to be when we're that age Mm -hmm. and then uh then when i got into my 20s i discovered rear window and then i just died into everything i could find of his uh uh, it's no surprise to anyone who knows me. Hitchcock is my absolute favorite director. I truly believe that if you name a, you name any director, you can go back in their catalog and you will find a movie that is an Alfred Hitchcockian movie. It is it is a direct link from them to Hitchcock. Um, I, he's the true master, and I, I can spend hours just watching or talking Hitch. <laughs> Nice, nice. And it's kind of, uh, kind of like you. When I was introduced to Hitch in the first place, I was uh, rather young. And like when I started getting to movies more than just like how every kid's in the movies and how I became really a fan of movies, my granddad is like the person who kind of fostered that first, uh, that those feelings, especially because I said I wanted to be a filmmaker. It's like, all right, if you want to be a filmmaker, you need to know film history. So... Hitchcock was the first person he introduced me to, and so he got me the universal collection of Hitchcock on VHS, like one of the biggest gifts I ever got for my birthday. And that's how I got it. Like, that's how when we go into these movies, like, 
when did you first see it? Well, I had it on the Alfred Hitchcock like Universal VHS collection. That's like the first time I watched it. Um, and so, and it's funny that you mentioned that because that's how you and I kind of became friends through the real fans group is because of Hitchcock. Like one of us would post uh, on the group, like, "Hey, we're watching this," and immediately in the comment section it would be like, "Oh, this scene's really awesome," or like, "Ah, oh, this one's okay, but it's not great." And that's how, like. We- you and I have disagreed on many like movies, like like uh, this uh, tonally we're not really into, or we respectfully right. disagree. But like Hitchcock, we're always like, all right, we could always have a conversation about him. <laughs> yes, always about Hitchcock. Yes. And um, so let's get this started. Um, so since you're the guest, we'll, and we'll go from number ten, work our <clears> way up <throat> to number one. So, guy, what is your tenth favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie? Um, my tenth favorite. It was a toss-up, and I didn't know how I was going to feel about it, because um, my 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 top four are solid. They've always been that way; they'll never change. But anything beyond, like from from five on, it it it, it could change within the second. Mm-hmm. So when it was coming to ten, I was like, oh man! So it was either going to be Vertigo or The Birds, mm-hmm. and I finally fell on The Birds. Um, it's it's Hitch's second actual full out horror that he actually did, and it's it's great because there's no explanation. There's no. It's just it's just a nice tense. I have no idea what's going on, but this is what's happening, and and the beautiful Tippi Hedren's in it, so you can't complain. Yeah, and despite how she had mixed feelings on Hitch later on in life. To say the least. I, I, I feel a lot of her, and, and I know she wrote that book, but I feel a lot of it is just bitterness towards the fact. That, seriously, I just think it's bitterness in her part, because she did this after he passed, so. Yeah, and, like, there are so many people, like, are, I understand, like, especially even the the movie Hitchcock with Anthony Hopkins portraying Hitch, they had that kind of element of, like, the leading ladies, or at least, um... What's her name? Uh, Vera Miles, who was supposed to be in Vertigo, but was pregnant at the time, so she was yes. replaced by Kim Novak. And they had her character, her portrayal in that movie, to be kind of ice cold towards Hitch because kind of Hitch kind of dumped her because she got uh, yeah. she got pregnant. And I'm like, I wonder if that's if that was legit heat between the two of them, or that's just kind of residual kind of ho- old Hollywood kind of myth becoming fact in this form. Right. Right. Um, and so when did you first see the birds? Um, I saw the birds on like USA one time. And this is before I even knew it was a Hitchcock film. Um, it was after I saw Psycho, but it was on like a USA channel when I was a kid. And I just watched it and it didn't, it was interesting for me when I was a kid, but it didn't grab me because as a kid, I wanted the explanation of why this was happening. Um, it wasn't until I was older that I realized that I came to appreciate that things are scarier when there is no explanation, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was I was young when I saw it because, like I said, I, I didn't even realize it was a Hitchcock film. So, mm. and if you could choose one scene in it as your favorite, what would it be? I like the diner scene where everyone starts turning on Tippy's character because mm. um, it just shows the the breakdown of of society so quickly um 
it, it does it does what the what the mist does years later in like a, a minute and a half period. You know, it just shows the breakdown of people so quickly. I really enjoyed that. Nice, nice. It's funny that you bring that up. Is because I just listened to the episode where, like, I, I posted on Twitter that you were on uh, Jeremy Lloyd's podcast, the Dark Tower Radio podcast, where you guys were talking about Maximum Overdrive predominantly, but also other Hitchcock movies throughout. And you brought yeah. up uh, the birds, ironically, uh, with the explanation of, like, in the original short story, Trucks, I think it was the title, that where all these machines came alive and attacked humanity, and there was no explanation for it. It was just kind of like, just happened once, and nobody knows about it, and then it kind of just happened, and then it just, just, just disappears afterwards. You're like, what happened there? Like, like most people like would be like, what? Like, I want to know why, but I think you're right. It's scary not knowing. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. I mean, like, that's why, I mean, one of the biggest things why I know Andy and I love uh, the original Halloween so much is we don't really know why Michael Myers snapped and became this personification of evil. He just right. did. I mean, that's like one of the biggest points of of anger that we had to the Rob Zombie movies is just it gives tries to give an explanation in the first one and then throws it out in the second one. You're like, so which is it, dude? Like, which one do you want to have it? Like, because you're, it, but I'm not. Oh man, I was. I said to myself, like, don't bring up the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. I said that, well, uh, of course. But any final thoughts on your number ten? No, no, I'm I, I'm good. I've I've said everything I need to say. All right, nice. And so for my number ten, it's actually Strangers on a Train. And the reason why I love this one is because. Uh, one of the things that is so awesome about this is like that was prevalent throughout Hitchcock's movies, and it's one of the things that's not often highlighted, but other filmmakers have picked it up on, is just that the one coincidence or one chance that happens that influences the rest of the movie. Like, you think of, like, the Coen Brothers movies, like, making No Country for Old Men, like, what happens with uh, Josh Brolin just happened to stumble across that uh, the shootout that happened and gets the money, or the things that happen in Blood Simple, that's just, like, the one coincidence that happens and with strangers on a train we have this chance meeting between uh a tennis star and a kind of a rich like uh going to be i i don't say like almost a socialite and tennis stars is like ah, i don't want to deal with you just like kind of like i'm gonna be polite and just deal with you for this train ride and it's like oh i know you have you have problems with your wife or your ex-wife and like i have problems with my father i'll kill your wife you'll kill my father we don't really know each other we can get away with murder and he just says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he kind of yells him just to get him away, not realizing that the man was being serious. The dude kills the tennis player's wife. And this kind of suspense that builds up, like, what's going to happen now? And I remember the first time I saw this, oh, I think I might have been away at college. And I think it was one of the things I actually read it from the library of the, the collection of movies they had. And, like, one of my favorite scenes, I, but it's not me, my, my absolute favorite. It's actually when... Uh, the, the like the kind of the psychopath of the movie is just watching the tennis player at his match. Everybody's head is going back and forth, watching the volley of the tennis ball, and he's not. His eyes is just staring forward at the main character, and you're like, okay, that's creepy. And absolutely love it. I mean, my my actual favorite scene in the movie is when the tennis player has to like, all right, I can I just have to get out of this match, and then I'll stop him from committing this murder, and it's. I'm, I'm not a big tennis fan. Uh, it's not my sport of choice to watch. So, and having this tennis match actually be a legit 
match between the two of these players, and it's like, oh, God, you just want him to finish the, finish the set so he can get out of here, and never has a tennis match ever made me feel so anxiety-ridden, and so I absolutely love it. <laughs> uh, spoilers, I'm not ready to talk about this one yet. <laughs> I kind of figured, I'm like, like guys, be quiet here, but like, he's probably going to bring this up later, so I'll just keep going on. Uh, so, yeah, Strangers on Train, I love it. Um, rec- I highly recommend it, and check it out. And guy, and what is your number nine? Uh, my number nine is the man who knew too much, the Jimmy Stewart version, not the original version. I mm-hmm. like the original version, and it's I highly recommend it, especially for you as a filmmaker. Watch the original, and then go back and watch the Jimmy Stewart, and you can see the the growth of a director. It's just amazing. It's re- it really is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I I've always felt that Jimmy's always. Hitch has always been at his best with Jimmy. I my it just they seem to just know each other so well. Um, the 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 whole movie is so many ruses and so many red herrings throughout the whole thing. It's a it's a solid ride. I mean, you got the beginning where it they're, they're point, pointing at, and I'm going to kill the character's name because I'm going to draw blanks on this. Um, the agent guy, yes, where oh. they're. Si- they're, they're they're suspicious of him, you know, and but doesn't know that he was suspicious of them. And then they're talking to these friendly people who end up being, the, you know, I mean, it's just just cat and mouse through everyone and everywhere. And it's 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 just it's just amazing. And I hate to be cliche, but honestly, my favorite scene is the assassination attempt because there is no dialogue throughout the whole thing. You just got the music going and coming to the crescendo to to the shot and it is just it doesn't matter how many times you watch that movie you were on the edge of your seat watching that scene oh yeah and and i won't go into too much detail here because i'm not ready to talk about this but (laughs) it's funny like i have not i've I've been wanting to watch the original Man Who Knew Too Much because I'm like, I'm also like a big fan of Peter Lorre and all of his movies. And so oh, yeah. I, feel, I feel like I, sh- I think I owed myself to watch it, but I'm just like, never had the chance to. So I really need to just find the time and, <laughs> and actually sit down and watch it. Uh, when did you first uh, see The Man Who Knew Too Much? Um, I'm going to say, it's hard to say. Now, it's going to be really hard to start pinning down when I've seen the movies next because I've, the, from here on out, I've seen them so many times that it's hard to pinpoint. Right. Um, I'm going to say late 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, yeah, I saw, I saw the Jimmy Stewart one first. I didn't even know it was a remake until I was much older. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I'm going to say late 20s. On VHS, I rented it sometime. It was how I originally saw that one. Gotcha. Nice, nice. Um, any final thoughts on Man Who Too Much? Uh, no, I'm good. All right, then. Moving along. Um, so moving along to my number nine, I'm actually going to go for kind of like a later era Hitchcock movie here. It's actually, I believe it's 1972 uh, Frenzy. And... The reason why I remember the first time I watched this, like I said before, with the Universal uh, VHS collection, I'm like, I picked it up and I'm like, frenzy. I'm like, all right, let's see, pop it in. I'm like, 12 years old at this point. Uh, okay, yeah. let's keep that. Let's keep that in fact right here because too probably uh, maybe a little too young for 
this movie? Possibly. Like, I, like my parents were. I mean, I saw the first Terminator when I was like five or six years old, and it, it obviously didn't didn't screw me up whatsoever. So uh, uh, it's like, yeah. So I, I always say, like, yeah, like James Cameron, like, like that and Titanic. Like, those are the two like pair of breasts I ever saw in the movies were James Cameron movies. So like, I, I always find that funny. And then with Hitchcock's Frenzy. We have the story of kind of like almost like an updated version of Jack the Ripper in modern day London. But instead of a yes. person uh, using a knife to butcher a woman, he's using neckties and he's become the necktie murderer. And it's obviously a, <coughs> a psychosexual kind of uh, murder that's running around London. And John Finch plays the main character who is kind of like down on his luck man who just got fired from his job and runs into... An asshole. The guy's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he does deserve to get fired, and I, I always forget the guy who plays his boss at the bar, because oh, he shows yeah. up in Doctor Who, years later, in the rebooted yeah, series. Yes. And it was funny, because I didn't realize that until like the most recent watching it. I'm watching Frenzy, like, this may have been, like, maybe two or three months ago, and I'm looking at him, like, why does he look so familiar? And I'm like... And then the four knocks, the... came to mind. I'm like, holy shit! That, yeah. He's a Doctor Who. And I'm like, oh my god. And so, like, for five minutes, I was like, wow. He did more. Like, it, I know it's like, it's a British actor. So, of course, everybody and their mother has shown up in Doctor Who at one point. Right. I mean, sometimes more than once. Sometimes you show up several times and become the Doctor. I'm looking at you, Peter Capaldi. Uh, <laughs> and so, John Finch's character, who is an asshole, gets pinned for the murder of his ex-wife, who the previous night... He was out in public with and had kind of verbal scuffle with. And his best friend, who's kind of like runs a uh, fresh food market, is the one who's actually committing these murders and pins it on. Well, doesn't he inadvertently pins it on the main character. And so it's like one of the things that becomes part of Hitchcock lore that there is a wrong man accused of something. And right. authority figures are not to be trusted or they're bumbling or... Every so often, Hitch will have a good cop character in his movies. Like, this right. is one of them. Or Dial in for Murder, like, he's actually a good cop in that. Or uh, even Shadow of a Doubt, where the cops are actually not to be feared or anything like that. But then you look at movies like The Wrong Man, where authority is definitely to be feared in that one. Or Psycho, right. like, the, the highway patrolman. You're like, that guy's terrifying. He's more terrifying than... Um, uh, Nor uh, Norman's mother in Psycho from 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 a certain perspective, and right. so with Frenzy and he like it's interesting because you think of the movies that he made early on in the forties, fifties, and sixties where he's restricted by the kind of the moral mo the more the morality of Hollywood at the time what you could show like you couldn't show a kiss longer than three seconds at a time or right. You want to show um, the – we want to infer sex. So we have two people get on a bed and we see a train drive down the tunnel. You kind of realize, right. oh, you know what they're talking about. But this one we actually see full frontal nudity at points and yeah. an actual sexual assault. And I'm watching this. I'm like, this is the same guy who did Psycho? Like, all right, this is different. And it's kind of like if you're used to what Hitchcock's movies are like, it can be a little bit of a – it can make you – step back a little bit like and it makes you wonder like was he more clever was he more creative with the kind of restrictions or but like 
like that's the one thought I had, but I'm like, I still enjoy this movie regardless. And my probably my favorite scene is when the uh what was it? Um the killer um what was it? Uh Robert Robert Rusk uh um realizes he left his pendant, his like uh his uh his signature I know it has his initials, like a uh, like kind of pin that he keeps on his jacket, is actually clasped in is in the hands of one of the victims that he just dumped in a potato sack in a truck that's going out to the <coughs> the country. So he has to get onto the truck and get the the pin back, and kind of the dark humor ensues out of that, and how it's kind of like in Psycho when spoilers, Norman gets rid of a body at one point, and right. you see him push the the car into the swamp and gets stuck. And you're like, no, no. Please sink, sink. You wanted to get away, and you stop and think. You're like, wait, this is the bad guy, and I'm rooting for him. It's another thing that's done here in Frenzy that I really enjoy and high, highly recommend. Um, now I can talk about this because this is actually my number eight. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Frenzy is actually my number eight. Um, nice. It is officially um, Hitchcock's only truly rated R movie. Yes, they rated. Psycho R, but it was never rated before when when it first came out because there wasn't a rating system. Yeah. Um. So this is Hitchcock's truly only rated R movie, and it's just, just rated R. It is, it is, it is brutal at times. Um, I do believe that this was kind of the movie that Hitchcock was trying to make all his years, um, because it it let him push that envelope that he was trying that. It, and let him open the envelope that he was pushing all those years. Right. Um, with, like with Marnie and Psycho. And, I mean, he was always pushing the envelope. This one is like, all right, I can open it up and pull the letter out and here. You can read it, you know. Mm. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's a great movie because not only is it his brilliant, I think it's darkest humor. Mm. Because the, the humor is just... I mean, especially the Rusk and and the main character. There, the humor between those two is just, it's just it's dark. Um, and then you get those fun levity moments with the detective and his wife, where they're absolutely hilarious. Because I actually watched this again last night to make sure that I was going to that, that I was on track with what I what my favorite scene was. And I'm just I'm just rolling laughing at the at the scenes between the the wife and the detective and the food because it's just they're just hilarious. And but they're but they're not silly hilarious. They're, they they still ring. I mean, yes, they're a little exaggerated, but they still ring true with married people, you know. Yeah. So so I, so uh, yeah, I, I, it it is a dark Hitchcock, and it, if you're not used to this kind of Hitchcock, I highly recommend it. But it, but go in thinking, yeah, uh, it's brutal. Um, my favorite scene is actually a technical as a as getting it because of, of uh, as a technical thing is that great tracking shot oh, out of the apartment, down the stairs, across the street, between... I mean, that's just an amazing shot. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's just an amazing shot. <laughs> and, like, I, like, when I was rewatching it recently, and you see, like, somebody passes in front of the camera, and you can see where the cut is, but you're like, still doesn't matter. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is... And thinking about this now... I, like, because one of my f- other favorite filmmakers is Brian De Palma, and De Palma has always been kind of criticized as a Hitchcock clone. 
I the mean, body double is the is got to be the the mo- the biggest Hitchcock rip I've ever seen in my life. But yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, I love body double though, and not just for I do too. The, not for this, the TNA reasons of it, but I think it's actually just a really enjoyable movie. But it is like, all right, let me take Vertigo, let me take uh, Dial in for Murder, let me take Rear Window, and let me throw in some '80s pop in there. And- yep. And some Dennis France in there, and then we'll just. In fact, I'm even. I'm going. I'm even going to get one of Hitchcock's blondes daughter to play my blonde. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Is it Mel- like- Melanie Griffith is Tippy Tippy Hedren's daughter. I never knew that. Yeah, 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 wow. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, now it's just it's just like I just ha- I can see in my mind's eye right now like the more you know rainbow just went across my face right there <laughs> right right <laughs> oh holy shit wow yeah damn I mean like I know it's like today like as we're recording this it is the 63rd anniversary of Rear Window and I plan yes. I plan to watch Rear Window tonight but I may end up following it up with Body Double tonight just for that fact because I'm like ah oh, I really want to watch that now right right uh, wow I mean. Okay, like, well, all right, since we brought him up, like, what are your feelings on Brian De Palma in general? I know it's a little tangent right here. I don't, I don't, I don't dislike Brian De Palma. I, I mean, I think he has some very hack movies, and I think he has some very good movies. Um, he's, he's not a favorite, he's, he's nowhere in my top ten, but mm-hmm. he's not, I, I'm not one of those guys that hate on him. He, he's fine with me. You know, I, I do like Body Double. I do like The Untouchables. Um, Carrie. I, I enjoy Carrie. Carrie's a great uh, Carrie's a great adaptation of a Stephen King work, you know. So, mm-hmm. gotcha. Because right. I know because there's, there's so many other filmmakers like you've said before, and we've had conversations like like of every filmmaker has one Hitchcock movie in there. Like, yeah, I like like my top three favorite filmmakers are Steven Spielberg, John Carpenter, and Alfred Hitchcock, and. <laughs> Of course, Hitchcock influenced Carpenter and Spielberg so much. Like, somewhat like like Halloween is totally based off of Psycho. I mean, right. Catch Me in the Can, like I've said before to you, is Spielberg's North by Northwest. Oh, I, it, I mean, Saul Bass did the titles for that movie. Oh, yeah. um, Williams Williams' score is definitely a, a, a Bernard Herrmann score. You know, I mean, it's 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 it is his Hitchcock movie. You know, yeah. And speaking of like of Hitchcock's uh, like Bernard Herman and John Williams, I rewatched Vertigo last night for this podcast. Spoilers: Vertigo is not on my list. I'm sorry, people. I'll get into this. Yeah. Why I don't think that in a second. Uh, but the opening notes of when we see the the criminal climb the ladder to the roof and then followed by the cop and then Jimmy Stewart's character, you take those like those really fast like violins. And you watch the scene when Richard Dreyfuss in Close Encounters of the Third Kind is chasing after the UFO after seeing it for the first time. Yeah, it's the same. It's like the same progression. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I will say I think what hurts Frenzy is it doesn't have the Herman score. It, no, because when I watched it la- when I watched it last night and you know it's somebody else's score and you're, it just doesn't. Uh, Ron Goodwin. I, I, yeah, it does. It doesn't. <sighs> It, 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 I think it hurts it for Frenzy. I, I, I do. I, I love Frenzy, but I, it's very obvious that it's, you know, I mean, and I know there was a couple others before that that didn't have it. It was just the fact that it just was very blurringly evident when I when I was watching it last night. Like, yeah, that's, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, like, there's so many filmmakers that become defined by their composer. Of course, Spielberg is known for John Williams. You have yes. Sergio Leone's Ennio Morricone's guy. Like, those two are always together. Yes. Or you have, like, of course, like, I'm thinking, like, John Carpenter has John Carpenter. John Carpenter, and, Carpenter exactly. And Alan Holworth. Like, well, let's, not, right. let's not discount him. Or then you have, like, recently we have David Fincher and Trent Reznor and yep. et cetera, et cetera. And so, or, like, we have, like, or, like, Paul Verhoeven had Basil Vodoris or Jerry Goldsmith. Like, those guys always scored Verhoeven's movies. And right. so it's... Like, the joke I always, uh, like, one, there was a video, uh, like, video series, like, Epic Rap Battles of History, where they had directors, like, square off, and when one of the diss lines from Hitchcock to Spielberg is, like, half your, mil- half your billions should go to John Williams, I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of true, and, like, so much of the success of Hitchcock's movies is based on Bernard Hermit's scores, sure, right. we had, like, Dimitri Tolkien, I think he did, uh, I think he did Rear Window, I may be getting that mixed up, or what have you, but... So it's interesting to see to watch other Hitchcock movies that Bernard Herman did not score, whether before they actually had their relationship or when their relationship kind of fell apart, and it's just other composers afterwards. Right. right. But uh, anyway, so let's, uh, let's move on here uh, to my number eight. Uh, actually, because you just brought this up, The Man Who Knew Too Much. And nice. it was funny because, like, like, like you, like my, like, Top five were kind of like my top, number one and number two never change. Uh, three, four, and five could like shift a little bit, but I'm like, man, I knew too much was going to be in the list somewhere. I didn't know where I was going to land it. And I saw this movie, like I said before, watching in the VHS because it's because of Hitchcock movies. Jimmy Stewart's my favorite actor. And I know a lot of people say, like, Jimmy Stewart's your favorite actor. I'm like, I know he's got like one to two notes to play in any of his performances. I understand that. I mean, he's I my was, favorite actor too. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah! Oh oh yeah! Oh yeah! I, I love Jimmy Stewart. It's funny because um, my dad, like his favorite actor, is John Wayne, and he always like pokes fun at Jimmy Stewart, and he always like does a really bad impression of him. I'm like, I'm like yeah, but he he got one good lick into John Wayne and Man of Liberty Valance. So you know, it was a sucker punch, but Jimmy Stewart did knock the Duke on his ass. So I got that. <laughs> I got that. I'm never gonna let, live that down. Um, so. Like you said before, the man knew too much. Where it's just it is pure suspense and mystery throughout the the movie, and you're wondering like, who are these people? Why is everybody looking so suspicious? It's interesting to see. When I look at when I was watching it last night, I had two, I had this thought that without the man who knew too much, we wouldn't have probably the James Bond series the way it is, like the kind of like the travelogue series of seeing exotic uh, locations. Yeah. And I don't think we would have had Raiders of the Lost Ark when they're in Cairo without the man who knew too much. Yeah, yeah. I, for some reason, I just got that. I got that feeling. I, I, I now I'm just imagining Jimmy Stewart fighting a man with a sword, and he's like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! I, I think we should put down that sh- <laughs> sh- sh- saber." Um, <laughs> uh, so, and my favorite scene of it is just like you is the the opera house sequence because the the best piece of Hitchcock's arsenal, his, his pure cinema, where everything's told without dialogue, it's camera work, it is the emotions on the actors, there's the blocking of it, is the music accompanying with it, and everything building up to that you that climatic clash, and Doris Day screams out to throw everybody off. I mean, it's wonderful. I always, I'm, I'm in rapture whenever I watch that sequence, and yeah. I absolutely love it. 
and like a good suspense movie, it never it doesn't let up. And I even love it to the end where Dorsey and Jimmy Stewart are at the party, and they realize that Hank is actually at the actually in that building. So Dorsey is like kind of prodded to, uh, that Joe is kind of, her character is prodded to play the piano and sing since she was a a stage actress and singer. So yeah. she sings K Sarah Sarah the song that she was singing with her son and then. I absolutely love that song, and I absolutely love that moment where Hank realizes who it is and gets the okay from one of the kidnappers. She's like, just whistle along because she's like not having any more of this yeah. plot. And wonderful. So yeah, yeah, man, love too much. I need to see the re. I need to see the original. I'm curious to see what it's going to be like. Like I know you said, like it's very different to see how Hitch was in the 30s versus Hitch was in the 50s. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to see a director, especially a, a director of Hitch's caliber, grow. That I mean, that's 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 it's it's interesting just for that alone. Yeah, I mean, like one of the things I always say, like you wouldn't have had Jurassic Park if you wouldn't have had Jaws, and like very they're very right. kind of similar. Like, or you wouldn't have had. I mean, hell, Howard Hawks made the same movie like four times in a row. He made Rio Bravo like three times. Right. Sometimes with like with John Wayne playing the exact same character, so it's not unusual for filmmakers to kind of remake their own movies or plot elements over and over. Right. Um, so yeah. So anyway, moving on. So what is your number seven? My number seven is 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 going to be uh, a reach to the way back. Um, is Lifeboat? Ooh, almost made my. It list. is. It is very much a propaganda film. And a lot of the a lot of his films in that time period were I mean it, so I mean Saboteur is a propaganda film I mean he it's just foreign correspondent part of the yeah foreign correspondent um there's another one I can't think of it off on but uh, yeah um and it's it is a it is an Agatha Christie almost um closed room. Murder mystery, almost. I mean, I mean, because it's not really a murder mystery, but I mean, that's what it plays out as. Is mm. it's just who's who's really who, what's really what, who's telling the truth, who's lying. I mean, it's 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 just great storytelling. Even as, and I know a lot of people of nowadays is not going to be able to watch it without seeing the datedness of the. Of the propaganda because it's obviously very anti-German. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, uh, I mean, it really anti-German. <laughs> um, so I mean, some people are not going to be able to look past that. Um, but it's, and this is this is the one that I'm having a hard time because it's been a while since I've seen it, and it's the one one of the few Hitchcock movies I don't own, so I couldn't go back and rewatch to find out what my favorite scene is. And it's kind of hard too because basically the whole the whole thing takes place in that boat you know right i i i'm almost to the point when i i think it's the scene when they when they relinquish their control over to the german guy who does all the rowing because mm. it, it just it was so easy it wasn't easy but it was just so easy for them to do it and and, it, and i think i think hitchcock plays that very well even though they were kind of leery, they were like, yes, but we, no one else wants to take responsibility. Yeah. And I love the moment in Lifeboat when 
they're like, well, we don't know who this guy, like, see, we realized this guy was on the German U-boat that sunk us, that right. led us to be in this situation. Like, this guy could be a cook for all of a sudden. And then, like, what's her name, like, says it, like, says something, like, addresses the captain in German, and he, and he responds to her, like, oh, yeah, of course, this guy's the captain of this said U-boat. So it was his decision yeah. that sunk their ship that led him here. And the one thing is, like, yeah, it is very anti-German, but they don't make the, the kind of, like, German captain an idiot. They don't make no, him like, no, no, not at all. They make him almost the the ultimate male. Yes, and like that's the one. Like it could have been so easily as a propaganda movie to make it just like a pure stereotype. I mean, yes. there is stereotypical elements to it. Yes, and it's very melodramatic. But he's like they probably wouldn't have made it that far without him. Oh, definitely, they definitely wouldn't have. So at least, like at least Hitchcock was a little more. I wouldn't say finesse or a little more. I wouldn't say sincere, but like at least was not so obvious. Yeah, about it. And but like you said, it is a propaganda movie because he was too old and couldn't serve in the war, so he he needed to figure out a way to help the war effort in one way or another. And oh man, I'm trying to think of my favorite. It may be just like a lifeboat is not on my list. Spoilers. Um, There's gonna be another self-contained like. Hitchcock movie that's going to be on my list very soon. But, right. um, and I love the moment when, like you said, when they relinquish the power over to the, the German captain, he's rowing them and they're just like, kind of like kicking themselves like, well, oh, we could have done that or we could have, we could yeah. have been able to do this, but yeah, we relinquished our power and our responsibility over to him. So our life is in this man's hands. So we just yep. hope he's going to do the right thing here. Yeah. Cause none of them were brave enough to take, the power themselves. They, no one wanted the responsibility, and that's, I, 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 especially in today's world, that really speaks to America. I'm sorry, it really yes. does. Yeah. Oh man, and then, and then of course, like when by the end, when they're all picked up, and it's just like, oh man, this is this yeah. is this is interesting here, and they kind of like kind of leads you, and almost like a bittersweet ending at the end of the movie as well. Yes. Oh uh, yeah, but oh yeah. So, final thoughts on Lifeboat. Oh, I'm I. It's a great movie. I recommend it for any any film heads. I recommend it to anybody, but I know it'll be a little bit of a slog for some people because it is dated. And I I, I say it's going to be dated for them because of its because of its propaganda. This. Yeah, I mean, if you if you're, I think like I think it, this movie kind of deserves like all right. You need to forewarn people what you're getting into when you watch it. Like, put it in right. the context of, like, where it was made and everything like that, then I think that would kind of soften the blow a little bit for some people. Yeah. I gotcha. Agree. Gotcha. All right, moving on to my number seven, and kind of like you spoke about it before, uh, it is The Birds. And it's funny. I'm going to jump to something really – like, I watched it I watched this on VHS when I was a kid, yes, so, like, Lather, rinse, repeat. A lot of these movies were like that. I, I, I realize right. that now. Uh, but I'm going to jump to something uh happened to me rather recently. Um, I actually did like a video shoot down by a nearby lake of mine. I got there a little bit early before my friend was going to come and help me out with a shoot. And there's a bunch of like, there's like 30 to 40 geese on the beach. And I just put my chair down in the sand and I'm about to sit down. All the geese start walking towards me and surround me. And just and stare at me. <laughs> and geese are mean. And I'm, and I'm sitting there. Luckily, I have my sunglasses on because my eyes are, like, darting around like pinballs. Like, just like, oh, uh, like, who's going to who's gonna try to bite me here? 
And I felt like the end of this movie when they're trying to get out of the house and walk to the car. And I'm like, oh, shit, do not make any sudden movements right here. I'm just going to sit down in my chair and hope to God they leave me alone. And so... Uh, and, I, and I literally text my friends, like, I'm in a bird situation right now. And my friend, <laughs> being smart ass, is like, somebody set fire to a gas station that's about to blow up. I'm like, no, nobody did not do that. I, I, I'm, surrounded by, I'm surrounded by winged creatures right here. Um, and so my favorite scene in the birds, obviously, this is when the birds attack and turn on humanity. Uh, this was really tough for me. And I think it has to be when Tippy is um, – waiting for the main character's uh, sister to get out of school. And she's oh. sitting next to the school, smoking a cigarette. And just one bird lands, two bird lands. lands. She's about to finish her cigarette, and she looks back over. The entire jungle gym behind her is covered in birds. And all you can hear is the kids singing the song, the little like limerick over and over. And you're like, oh, God, you're going to die right now. And just slowly have to get up and try and warn everybody and how it just escalates from there. And and I love the fact that like it starts off like like Psycho, it's a slow burn. Like, yeah, you have these kind of like birds acting odd, but it's never too overt until it actually happens and you think one right. one attack, like, oh that's just weird. Maybe the kids just scared these seagulls at first, like, no. And how the birds come in waves, it's not like a the zombie apocalypse where it's just an oncoming horde that cannot be stopped. Right. It almost seems like the <clears throat> birds are strategically taking the time to attack humans. Well, uh, Hitch is, is considered a master suspense for a reason. And the birds is one of the prime examples because it's, it's, it's not, it's not just slow tension. It's layers of tension. It's just mm. a little bit added here and a little bit added there that, that, that bring it, and then and then it brings it to that point where all of a sudden everything, you know, and then he'll and then after the crescendo, he'll build it again, and then, yeah. you know, I, I, just it's so good at it, just uh, just amazing. And then, of course, like you mentioned before, how he, like everybody turns to Tippy Hendry because she came to this town. All of a sudden, these birds start attacking. Yeah, and. And I love the fact that it just slaps the woman just to just to knock some sense into her because like yeah. like last time I watched it was between my ex and I and like both of us like I looked at us both of us had clenched fists because yeah. we were just so tense and just wanted to attack her. Yeah. Um and what was it? I'm trying to think of the uh and I always feel bad for Rod Taylor's like ex girlfriend who tried to help them at one point. We find right. out she died. Yeah. And, you just, and she gets killed off screen and you don't see what they actually did to her. And you're, you're just, your mind has to imagine what the birds did to her. And you're like, oh, it's just disturbing. Yeah. I mean, like, that's one of those, like, I, like, I saw Psycho recently, like, on the big screen. Like, this is something I want to see on the big screen. And I, I, I'm something I hope to God that I get a chance to see because I think it would just be awesome to see this in a movie theater with a movie theater sound system and everything and i think it would be an awesome movie to do this to experience that i i i did see it in movie theater it is amazing (laughs) you suck (laughs) (laughs) so tell me about that how that how how that come about um it uh we used to have an alamo draft house here Mm -hmm. and you know as well as i do Alamo draft house is very good at doing retro shows they had a hitchcock month 
Um, they did a Vertigo, which you've got to see Vertigo on the big screen because the how we talked earlier one time about the colors of Vertigo. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. Um, the Vertigo, Rear Window, Psycho, and, and The Birds. And, and it's just – and I went, you know, and it's just it, the surround sound. Um, yes, the some of the effects are dated, and you can tell that they're fake or that they're superimposed. But they're it for some reason it works on a big screen, so it's just really it, it, it's just fun. Oh. Now I'm just imagining like that one moment where you literally go to the bird's eye point of view above the town, yeah. and it just yeah. goes quiet, and then all the birds then just descend on it, like oh, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, there's there's a few theaters because I live not too far from New York City, and they're always showing retro movies, and I'm always like right. on the lookout to see. Like, if they're going to put a Hitchcock, like, movie out or anything like that. I mean, like, the closest thing that I have coming up re- soon is, I think, Dario Argento's Suspiria is going to be on the big screen. And I'm like, all right, I'll go see that because Argento was the Italian Hitchcock for a while. At least his early oh, yeah. career was. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage. That, 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 is, that is as if Alfred Hitchcock went to Italy and did it himself. I mean, that's, that's pure Hitchcock. And it's funny. That's my favorite Argento movie. I think that's why. That's one of the. F- I'm not an Argento fan. <laughs> that's fair. Um, he. Um, little tangent. Uh, friend Mark Gottlieb from the Real Fans page. His favorite movie is Suspiria, and I think it is the most boring Technicolor crap in the world. <laughs> it bores the crap out of me, you know. And and um, I, I don't hate it. I I kind of play off on it. A little bit more to just to just to give some ribbon to Mark, but <laughs> but yeah, it's no, I'm not, I'm not. I I respect what he's done because I, I understand he's he's done a lot for cinema. But I just a lot of his stuff is just oh slogging through. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like I, I reviewed Suspiria not too long ago. I think uh, not was it last year or was it the year before? Uh, year before, um, and. My friend, like, I had seen it before, and it was his first viewing of it, and he's like, does this, does the guy who did the music, do they just have, like, two songs, and they just repeat it all the way through? I'm like, <laughs> well, Goblin's score is kind of repetitive in this. I mean, this is the Dawn yeah. of the Dead score. It's more dynamic. Yes. Um, but, like, 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 if I was, like, if I ever got a chance to see, like, Suspiria on the big screen, I'm like, I don't do drugs, but I think I would drop a tab of ass <laughs> to go see that. And it's like, whoa, the colors are coming out everywhere. Oh, my goodness, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, like, like, just, like, all the, the vibrance. But uh, I understand your feelings towards it. Um, so... so, yeah, so, yeah, that's my number seven. And what is, uh, what is your number six? My number six is The Trouble with Harry. Ooh! <laughs> I love that movie. It is funny. It is silly. It is dark. <laughs> it, um, it, it has Royal Dano, which um, is the... Most people will know him from Killer Clowns. He's the, the I'll tear this place apart with my bare hands guy <laughs> that loses a dog. I mean, just... I, I love I, I love the movie. It's 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 definitely a farce, but it's a dark farce. You know, I mean, it's the, it's only the it's a farce only the way Hitchcock can do it. You know, I mean, it's about people. I mean, they spend the entire movie burying and unburying a body. I mean, it's pure 
hilarious, and it's just it's just so much fun. Um, I was having a hard time picking up my favorite scene because there are so many comedic scenes that just that just click so well. Um, but I think my favorite would be when the main character is is given the makeover to the lady before they go on the on on the date, and the 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 millionaires out there looking at his art. And it completely is oblivious to him because he's so off in space, you know, about, oh, I'm going to do this makeover. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember when I first saw this, I saw this, I saw this actually may have been in high school later on because, like, it was part of that same collection of VHS, but I never got a chance to watching it. But right. I had seen this plot done before, like, like of course, like the burying and, un- and burying a body. Right. Uh, I know. I know. This is gonna sound totally silly, and it's gonna make me sound like a young kid. But SpongeBob SquarePants did an episode very similar to this, <laughs> where SpongeBob and Mr. Krabs kill uh, a health inspector and have to hide the body as cops come into the Krusty Krab and have to like try and hide him from him and everything like that. And when I watch The Trouble with Harry, I'm like, oh, I understand. I understand where SpongeBob stole this idea from. Right. But uh, it is. It's like that, and like. Like almost like Weekend at Bernie's a little bit like took a, lo- yeah. a little bit from Trouble with Harry, and it is like I said, it is like you said, it's hilarious. Oh, it's it's, it's a oh, go on. It's 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 a blast. It, it's it's complete farce. It's absolute. It's it's really it's silliness, but it's such dark silliness that it's just fun. And I always forget the guy, the the character who's reading the book. In the woods, he's not looking where he's going. Trips over the body, <laughs> the, the gets doctor. back up, and, gets, and, and it just keeps on reading. And just like, like nobody, like everybody's like, oh, he just he's gonna see the body. Wait, he didn't look back. He didn't look back or tripped on him. And he just keeps going. You're like, like everybody, you you would look, you would turn to a person next to you, even if you're watching by yourself. Like, like, are you serious? Is this going on right now? All right, <laughs> we're going with it. Right, yeah. Oh, <sighs> man. So much fun. <laughs> now, this was a movie that I had thought I had seen. Um, and then a um, couple of Christmases ago, my birthday's uh, Christmas Eve. So a couple of Christmases ago, um, Jamie actually, for my birthday and Christmas, got me the, 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 the Masterpiece Collection. And I was working my way through it. And I had thought I'd seen Trouble with Harry. And then... I, and I put it in. I started watching. It, and I'm like, I have never seen this before. So I'm watching it, and I realize that it's such a pleasant surprise because it's it's a lighthearted romp into Hitch's mind. It's yes, it's tinged with darkness because it is Hitchcock's mind, but it is still lighthearted and fun. And I honestly never knew that Shirley MacLaine was so cute. I mean, she is so cute in this movie. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so, like, damn. I may have to rewatch this, like, really soon now. Like, it's funny, I'm just like, and my dad asked me, like, what are your plans for this weekend? Since this, this is Labor Day weekend, I'm like, I have nothing planned, so I may just have a Hitchcock marathon this weekend. Oh, so good. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, any more thoughts on uh, The Trouble with Harry? No, no, I'm good. Okay, then. Uh, moving on to my number six, it is actually Rope. And... Oh my god, what can I say about this movie? I mean, I love I love the kind of small, self-contained Hitchcock movies. Like, some people would say 
telling a story in a single location is a hindrance. I'm like, it can be if you're not creative. There are so many people who have been able to tell stories in a single room, or at least there's a few people that can do it and be able to pull it off like almost seamlessly. You you have like the first one that comes to mind is Sidney Lumet's Twelve Angry Men, right? And, and which is one of my absolute favorite movies, and Hitchcock's Rope, along with a few other movies that are on my list, and saw this on VHS and it was kind of like one of those things just going through the collection watching it and the opening of like uh, uh, two friends killing a third friend I'm like alright that's that seems kind of standard for a Hitchcock movie there's murder and there's intrigue about them like alright fine and then they put his body in a trunk have his friends and family over and serve dinner on top of it that's where it gets interesting for me and I'm like okay I see where you're going here and one of the other things I really enjoy about it is that Jimmy Stewart's kind of an asshole in this. <laughs> well, if if you notice, in a lot of Hitch's movie, he's got a lot of asshole in him in all in all of his roles in Hitch's movies. Yeah, I mean, like like in The Man Who Knew Too Much, like he has a little bit of an anger issue. That's kind of yep. like his um, Vertigo. He is an obsessed person that kind of goes goes bye bye to everybody near this yeah. second half of the movie. Uh, Rear Window, he's kind of. Very ungrateful to Grace Kelly, which I do want to slap him for. Oh, uh, we'll get to that. Don't worry. <laughs> oh yes. Um, and then I'm trying to think, like, what else? Like, there was something. Like, I'm trying to think of all the movies he did with Hitch. Like, of course, you had you had Rear Window. You had you Rope. Like, rope. You've had Men Knew Too Much. Um, like Vertigo. Vertigo. Yes. And then I'm like, all right, what? Like, I'm, yeah, I'm, I think you got them all. Okay, I'm just trying to think if I'm missing any. I'm like. I think that's it. But, yeah. yeah, like, he has those kind of moments, but I think this is the most pronounced right off the bat that he's kind of, that he's kind of, like, a jerk to everybody, or at least um, to, like, the aunt of the victim, especially when she's going on and on about seeing movies, is, like, it's the something of something. Or was it just something? Do you know what it is? Oh, absolutely. It doesn't, and he's just messing with her the entire time. That I, Like, yep, we've all been there. We've all known the people who've just been very curt, with people around them. Right. And you can't, and especially since Jimmy Stewart, who's known for like, um, well, like, like the other Hitchcock movies, then you have, uh, what else? Like, um, it's a wonderful life where he's the noble person. And he's like, the same kind of a jerk is a little bit, it's interesting. And wait, then you, wait, in, in my favorite movie of his, of, of all time, Harvey, where he is the absolute most wonderful person in the world, <laughs> you know? Yes. Oh, and then I'm uh, like, oh, it's been, I haven't seen Harvey since I was a kid, so I really need to watch it. Oh, that's my favorite movie of all time. Oh, man. And then, of course, you have Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like, I always loved like, the, the filler buster of, at the end where he's just going on and on and on and eventually collapses of exhaustion. Yeah. But um, anyway, so back to Rope. And, of course, like, one of the defining things of Hitchcock's filmography is that his use of montage and use of rhythm in creating suspense and action sequences. Here, he attempts to make it look like it's all done in one shot. Obviously, there are hidden cuts where it pushes into an object where it fills up the frame. You right. cut the camera and <clears throat> you back out to go into the next part of the movie. And each like shot is like 10 minutes in length. And he pretty much does a stage play in front of you. Oh, yeah. Yes. And of course, and like the most like amazing thing about it is the the background, the cyclorama of it, 
of the New York skyline going from mid-afternoon to evening, and he changes the background as the movie goes on. It's not like a – it's a gradual thing. It's not like a yeah. snap the fingers as all of a sudden it's nighttime. Right. And we haven't really brought this up, but the Hitchcock's cameos, and I think this is one of the most creative ones along with Lifeboat. Right. Where he's an, he's an advertisement in the background. Right. A weight loss advertisement in in Lifeboat on one of the newspapers, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and I think he has a. I think in Rope he's a neon sign on one of the rooftops in the background. Yep. The the famous silhouette. Yes. Yes. And and one of my favorite scene. Like I'm trying to think. What my favorite? This, this is all technically like one big long scene. I'm not sure. I think my favorite moment is when James Stewart, like Jimmy Stewart, comes back and has the big speech when he discovers the body in there. And they're the, the pupils that these kids they were like former fr- like friends and like students of uh, Jimmy Stewart's character saying, "We just took your uh, philosophy and we just applied it into real world terms." Aren't you happy? And he rejects everything that he's been kind of defending the entire movie of like Nietzsche and like like everybody's like the things are deserving of killing people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And of course, the, the big like monologue at the end. I think that's my favorite moment. It's one of my favorite pieces of jimmy stewart's acting i i'm not ready to talk about this <laughs> i kind of figured so yeah uh, my number six rope so i say i highly recommend it and check it out so what is your number five we're going into the top five now uh my number five is shadow of the doubt shadow of a doubt i love this movie I love it for the exact same because it's Hitchcock's favorite of his, and I love it for the exact same reasons that he does because it's it's bringing the sinister to to the small innocent town. It's 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 su- it's such a cat and mouse between the between the niece who's named after the uncle who's who is the, who is the heavy who is the bad guy you know and 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 to see see her slowly discover slowly come to terms with. With the fact that her uncle is this this killer, it's just it, it's a great ride. Um, the the theme of the of the dad and the dad's friend in the background talking about murders and mysteries. It's just it's a nice parallel. Um, my favorite scene is the bar scene where it's um, where it's the uncle, the niece, and then the disinterested waitress who has no clue what's going on. But the way she's talking, the way she's wishing things about, oh, I wish people would look at me like this, like that. It's just, it's just a great scene of, of just normal everyday life people being oblivious to what's actually going on in front of them. Right, and it's it's really funny because this is also my number five, and that's nice. actually my favorite scene too. Um, and yeah, I mean, like saying this is Hitchcock's favorite movie, and. Like you said, like how Charlie and Uncle Charlie are uh, related. Like, okay, which I do have to question. Who named? I guess, like, I guess Charlie's short for Charlotte. I would assume so. Yes. Okay. Um, it's just, it's just interesting, like, to have the nickname like that. And I love how they're both introduced. They're both introduced on their respective beds, looking out yes. the window, kind of longing for something. Like uh, Uncle Charlie, played by Joseph Cotton, play like is longing for. Uh, a safe haven and something to do is so we can get away from the cops and and her his niece uh charlie is longing for some kind of something to break out of her banal life that she has yeah. in this town 
and she gets her wisp, and something that's something that she doesn't really like. She shouldn't have wished for it, but like you when you brought up the fact that like Charlie's father is in the ba- is always have like him and his friend always talking about murder. It's in such a humorous way. Like the friend's like, "Well, where's your clues? Where's your evidence?" Like I'm not supposed to leave clues and evidence. I'm trying to kill you. Um, right. And, uh, and uh, I love he keeps interrupting dinner of all times. He knows when they're going to have dinner. And he comes in like, all right, I would chop you up. I'm like, they're having dinner right there. You're talking about disemboweling each other. It's just it, it's just great. And Joseph Cotton playing the heavy so well. I mean, he there are scenes there where he's really frightening. I mean, he's really frightening in some scenes. It's a great it's it, it really is a great movie. Oh, yeah, and I saw Citizen Kane before I saw this, and so I'm kind of used to kind of like the quiet and very tender Joseph Cotton. Right. And then to see him in this, I was like, oh, my God, like this this man had range when he was when he wanted to be both loving and caring and downright evil in this. Well, and that was the thing. This was if I if if memory serves me correctly, this was the first time him playing the heavy. Okay. Um, I'm, I, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I'm, I, I, I seem to remember reading it somewhere or seeing an interview with Pat Hitchcock, um, Hitch's daughter, saying that it, that this was his first time playing the heavy because she says the way the way he is normally is the way he is in real life. That he's really a soft-spoken, really nice man, you know. So it's it, and he just plays it so well. Yeah, and I love the moment where he's like he's in the house and he goes up the stairs and he looks back out the front door and just Charlie's standing, not wanting to come into the house and looking up at him. I always love that moment. Or when Charlie, like the niece, Charlie gets locked into the uh, garage and trying to be uh, uh, choked to death on the car exhaust fumes. Always amazing. And I mean, like I I absolutely love shadow of a dad. And I showed it to my friend recently and he was just like, He's like, wow, that was really good. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, that was Hitchcock's favorite. He's like, I can see why. I'm like, yep. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, in, in, in the scene where in, – in, in the scene that are our favorite scene, you can see the, the, the switch where you realize that Uncle Charlie needs to get rid of – and he realized he needs to get rid of his niece. I mean, you see it in, in that scene. Yeah, and there's always a moment where a lot of people love the moment in Notorious where – it's at near like near the end of the movie where like the camera's up observing the party, and it comes all the way down to the ring that the main character's wearing, and I'm like, oh, that's cool, or the, what she's holding a hand. I'm like, I always, I like the moment in this more where Charlie, the niece Charlie, is coming down the stairs and she's wearing the ring, and the yes. camera pushes into that, and and Uncle Charlie realizes it. And you're like, oh, yeah. the t- tables have turned on them. Yeah. Oh man, I mean. We could probably gush about this movie for another hour. So, but oh yeah, great movie. Um, um, but I do have I, this thought just occurred to me. Do you think the ending's a little abrupt? <sighs> um, by today's standards, yes. By then, no. If you if you watch a lot of the older films, a lot of them kind of ended like this, kind of a kind of an, an abrupt ending like that. Right. Um, you know, so I, I think by I think by today's standards, yes, because a lot of people want an epilogue or some drawn out, you know, um explanation or anything and and this just it's just it just kind of kind of ends. And I I think I think it's fine. No. I it works for me. But like I said, by today's standards a lot of people are gonna think, Wow, well that ended kinda quickly. Yeah. 
I mean, like that, like that. Only, the only question they only came up to me last time I watched it was with 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 my friend Dakota, and we were just I'm like, I was thinking to myself, like, huh, that was really quick because I'm expecting like maybe it's like Saboteur, where it's like we had the big struggle on the Statue of Liberty, and then he eventually falls off. And this, he kind of like spoilers, everybody, uh, where Joseph Cotton just kind of gets like they have, there's a struggle in the train, but he just gets pushed out and gets run over by yeah. an oncoming train. So I didn't know, like, maybe you could have drawn the suspense out a little bit more, but like, if that, that's me trying to nitpick. Everything else, I yeah. think, is, is wonderful. Yeah. All right, then. So that was both our number five. Uh, what is your number four? Uh, uh, my number four is Psycho. Ooh. I, I, this, <laughs> this is a master class of filmmaking because... I, I, I've said this a million times, and I will say it a million times more probably before I die. Even if, you, even if you've seen the movie a hundred times, even if you know the outcome of this movie, you are still rooting for Norman Bates not to be the bad guy. That yeah. is how good Anthony Perkins is. He is amazing in this movie. It is just genius. Um, it is... It has its moments of terror. I mean, not so much by today's standards or because I'm, I'm a little jaded now. Um, but there are some really intense scenes. Um, the, the, you know, the whole playoff of, oh, Janet Lee's in this movie. She's going to be the star. No, nope, 20 minutes of the movie, she's gone. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's, it, it's just, it's just hitch. Playing, he always said he liked to play the audience as long as he could, and he was playing the audience before they even walked into theater with this one. It's just pure genius. Um, it's hard to pick a favorite scene with this. Um, I tend to find my favorite scenes are interactions between Norman and other characters, like Norman and Arbogast, Norman and and uh, and uh, Janet, um, Norman and Sam. Um, I. Th- and I think I'm going to go with the one between Norman and Sam because that's when you really start to see Norman's dark side. I mean, there's little hints of it with with Janet. There's a little more hints of it with Arbogast, like when Arbogast finally realizes, oh, this, oh, this is her. This is her right here. And and, and the way Hitch films, um, Anthony leaning over with just a, the uppercut of the chin and just looking at it, you know, you can see the darkness. Um, you can see it a little bit of, ah, uh, this may not be what the guy you think he is. But when it, when it hits to the one between him and Sam, and and Sam's really pushing his buttons, and, and Norm is just, he's holding on to every bit of sanity as he can in that scene. And you can see him literally holding on to those little tiny strings, like the t- strings of a balloon that are being blown in the wind. I mean, you just see him trying to hold on to them until he, re- oh, wait, she's up at the house. And th- I... Uh, yeah, that's my favorite scene. Nice. Um, I'm not ready to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, oh, man, I, I can't wait to talk about this. That's how excited I am. Um, so I guess you're not a fan of the remake. Oh, my goodness. Have you seen the, have you seen the remake? No, because I want to gouge out my eyes with light bulbs. So. Oh, it is apt. <sighs> Minus minus Vince Vaughn, who I like. I like Vince Vaughn, um, and he can do dramatic because I just recently seen him in um, um, Hacksaw Ridge, and he's amazing in that. But 
he cannot play Norman Bates. He plays, I mean, you know he's a nut job from the beginning. But you got all these other great actors in this movie. William H. Macy as Arbogast is a complete waste. I mean, you need to watch it just to see how bad this movie is because it is terrible. It is so bad. Uh, I mean, like for October, like I'm doing like all horror movie remakes. Like that's all the podcasts I'm covering. But oh. I'm, I'm all covering remakes that are I enjoy or things that like ones that are really like beloved. Like I'm covering The Thing. I'm covering uh, – I'm going to cover Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead or uh, as well as um, what else? Probably the Cape Fear remake or Scorsese's uh, Cape Fear. And probably oh, yeah. and probably uh, the Evil Dead remake, but I'm like, should I cover the Psycho remake? But I'm like, no, I'm just gonna be angry. It's just gonna be me two hours of screaming fuck over and over again into a microphone because I'm just like, why, why, why would you do this? I think you should do it. Uh, I mean, yeah, they, like you just want to just, I'll just be cutting a promo the entire time. It would just be me venting. Um, it's it's funny. Uh, one of my. Uh, there's a filmmaker and a teacher that I'm actually friends with the name of Kelly Baker. Um, he was Gus Van Sant's, like, main sound guy for years. Like, he did sound on, like, Grimble Hunting. And he, like, at the time was like, I need money to, like, do my first feature film. Gus came to him, like, I'm remaking Psycho. I'm like, why are you remaking Psycho? And, like, well, that's something I want to do. I'm like, I need the money, so I'm going to do it. So he ended up doing that movie. I'm just like, oh man, that's gotta be like blood money right there. It's like, as you made, like you took that job to make your movie. I hope you made a better movie from that. Um, so yeah, like, uh, I mean, uh, I'm just imagining, like, I'm just seeing, I can see in my mind's eye right now, like the last shot of him like smiling into the camera right now. Like I've seen that clip, and I'm like, no, no, no. And that even that isn't even the worst of it. Uh, I mean. <laughs> And I love William H. Macy. I think Anne Heche is actually a really good actress, too. So I'm just like, oh. Anyway. It's, it, yeah. <laughs> you need to see You need to see it. You need to see it at least just once. Just to see. Just to see. I let curiosity get me for the same reason. And just you just need to. Just trust me. All right, then. All right. If I, if I go on a Kill Crazy Rampage, I'm, I'm going to blame you for it, by the way. I have cl- plausible deniability. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on uh, to uh, my number four, Dial M for Murder. And this one I didn't see until later. I, I actually saw this in college because it was when I like got back into Hitchcock. And the reason why I got back into Hitchcock is because I went to school and I was a double major in both broadcasting and filmmaking. I had more friends in the broadcasting program and I liked the people in the broadcasting program more because they weren't as pretentious as the film program students. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, I'm like, hey, guys, I don't shop at a thrift store uh, unironically and wear Buddy Holly glasses on the reg. So (laughs) I know you guys love Wes Anderson and everything, but I'm going to stick with my Hitchcock and Kurosawa, and I'm going to be the cool cat in the back corner. Well, it wasn't really cool. I've never been cool my entire life. I'm going to be honest here. Um, And I remember, like, a dial-in for murder. I just immediately bought the Blu-ray on Amazon. never saw it before. I just bought it because I'm like, like, I've never really disliked the Hitchcock movie. So I'm like, all right, I'll just buy it. But outright, so happy to get in the mail. And that, that the night I saw it, I was in, like, it was a slow night at my co- at college. And, like, there's nothing going on. And I'm like, all right, I'll watch Silent for Murder. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And much like Rope and like Rear Window, it's a contained story. It was based on a play by Frederick Knott, who also did the screenplay. And start like Ray Milan. And it's like the first. It's um, I don't think it's. Is it the first movie? 
With Grace Kelly, or is it the second one? I always forget uh, the order. I don't know the order right offhand. Yeah. I, I have... I probably have the least amount of experience with this movie. Okay. And I, and the reason why I fell in love with this movie is just Ray Milan's performance. And the reason why is because if a villain is good at what he does, you can't take your eyes off of him. True. Like, you look at Darth Vader or, yeah. or, or Hannibal Lecter. They're both good at what they do. They're horrible and they're, they're, they're monsters, but... And you know, especially if you have somebody who has some kind of a charm to them, you really can't take your eyes off them. Like even like, right. if you want to do like more recent, all right, uh, Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men, like Javier Bardem's performance, right? He's like he's a he's a weird dude, but like he's fascinating, and I, I love Ray Milland just just being so confident, wanting to kill his wife. And my favorite scene is the convincing of the his friend, his old college, his old university friend, who's a criminal now. He blackmails into committing the murder, and all the details that he has perfectly planned out, and you and you're just like on his side, like, all right, Grace Kelly, I'm sorry, I love you, but you're gonna die. Like, you want that to happen, and when it goes wrong, you're like, oh my god, what's gonna happen here? And then the cat and mouse between him and the detective, and trying to stay one step ahead of him, is really fascinating, and I absolutely love it. I mean. There is like, there is only like maybe one, like moment where it's kind of like a limitation of keeping everything in the apartment where we see, kind of a montage of Grace Kelly on trial at one point. It's shot in like in front of like a, kind of a rear screen projection. It's kind of very right. It's very jarring and jarring. Yeah, and I'm like, that can be kind of throwing off at people, but I swear the performances of it and just the. Direction of it is flawless, so I I say Dial for Murder has to be my number four. It Dial for Murder is a great movie. I I do truly enjoy it, but for some reason, it when I put a Hitchcock's movie, it's one of the last that I put in. I hmm. I I it's it's it, it's nowhere near his worst movie. Which even his worst movie is better than pretty much any movie. Yeah. Out. Um. But um. I just for some reason it's it's never completely clicked with me where it's like oh I gotta watch Dial In for Murder no I'm always putting in one of these top tens that we've been talking about right right I mean I do wish like we said before like seeing things on the big screen I would love to see a, this in 3D which was initially meant to be in 3D it was shot in 3D right and like I do not like 3D I mean I, the only 3D movie I've seen was My Bloody Valentine the one that came out years ago in 3D and I'm probably going to go see Terminator 2 in 3D this weekend because well, like, Terminator 2 is my favorite movie. So I'm like, I, and I've already seen it on the big screen once, but I'm like, I can't pass this opportunity up. Like, I'll, I will bury my feelings towards that uh, 3D to go see that. Right. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I understand why, like, some people would not want to uh, s- seek this out right away. And I think, actually, I actually saw, like, the loose remake, uh, a perfect murder, which is Michael Douglas and Viggo Mortensen, which is actually a really good remake. Yeah, I mean, like, there's been a lot of Hitchcock remakes under like different titles. We'll get to those later, well, at least one of them later that may not be as good. But that one, I think I saw first before I saw this, so it may have kind of informed my just feelings. Like, all right, I'll just I'll see this. Oh yeah, gotcha. But anyway, so what is your number four? 
Or do we do a unit before already? We're already at number four. We're up to three. Okay, we're up to, up to number three. Okay, gotcha. And my number three is rope. Ooh, okay. I love rope. This is a great... It, it, this is a tension building from scene one on. I mean, you know they killed that guy. You know it. And they keep playing everybody. Um, it, and... And, the, and the, it just waving in everybody's faces without anybody. Well, besides Jim, Jimmy catches on fairly. He sees he senses something's off fairly early. Um, and 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 you're right that 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 monologue at the end that he gives is just oh it's it's intense and it and it's I, I honestly believe it's probably the rawest that uh, Jimmy Stewart's ever been. I mean there's there's just a just pure raw energy when he's yelling at them about and you're gonna die, you know, just 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 amazing. Um, and I would normally, I don't think I normally, I would say that the the exchange between the piano player, I'm I'm not gonna remember the the names offhand. Mm-hmm. Um, the piano player and Jimmy, where Jimmy's like, oh, you've never lied to me before. I, is is a very good scene, but I'm with you. My favorite scene is when he he just goes off because Jimmy is just he is just pouring his soul out on the screen in that one. It's just amazing. Yeah, and I love like when everybody's leaving. Everybody's just like, oh, it's everything's gonna be fine and everything's gonna be cool. And then like I forget, I think it's his father who has to always leaving with books, and they tie up the books with the murder weapon. Yeah. And the piano player is like, "Are you kidding me? You're like that, that is just that is just cruel and unusual to do to that family." Yeah, yeah. It's just, oh my goodness. It's just, it, it, yeah. It, and it's just, it's it's an uncomfortable tension through the whole thing because you know it's coming. I mean, you know there's gonna it's gonna come to a head. And then when it's done, when it does come to that head, like I said, Jimmy just he just leaves it on the screen big time. Yeah, and, and I love like how. Uh, like of course there is the hint of like the the two the two the murderers are lovers and that their friend may have oh, been. Oh, there's there's no hint. <laughs> yeah, all right, like, all right. It's, it's blatant. <laughs> it's blatant. It, in the it, play, they were all lovers. In the in the actual play, they were all lovers. It's very much um, addressed in the play that Jimmy characters and then the, and then the two killers were all homosexuals. Yeah, and that. I mean, it's uh, like watching now. It's like you said before with Lifeboy. is is blatantly like that. It's kind of like really on the nose. Where like if you, and if you're not expecting, or you kind of like people will be like kind of like, oh, so you make the bad guys the homosexuals? I'm like, well, that's not really the point of it. I mean, it, I mean, it's kind of. I'm trying to think of the. Oh man, I'm trying to think of the. Uh, oh, the Leopold and a Loeb uh, murders. In 19, from 1924, it's kind of what it's loosely right. based off of. Yes. And, and it is fascinating. And, of course, I mean, like, I mean, uh, Philip, who, who's the piano player, just getting more and more drunk as he goes on. You're wondering. Yes. Is he going to just spill the beans in front of everybody? And then Brandon is just, like, poking fun at people's relationships as they're going on. You're like, oh, geez. Like, you're – like, there's so many ways – as Hitchcock's movies show to get away with murder. And this one's right. like, like we can get rid of the body, have everybody over. Nobody will know everything. Be cool. Like, and the great tension of this movie is like, how much far, how much farther can we go with this? 
Right. How, how much? How much? How how far to the edge can we go without getting caught? Right. I mean, it's right. Only, well, it, oh, go on. And the Brandon character wanted to get caught. There is no doubt he wanted to get caught because he wanted to flaunt what he did in front of everybody. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, like, say for instance, if they weren't get, if they didn't get caught. Do you think the two would have committed a murder again? Uh, uh yeah. Uh, Brandon would have killed Philip. I could see that, yeah, because Philip wouldn't have turned on him. No, it, 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 Brandon would have killed Philip because Philip, uh, Philip had too much of a telltale heart going on in him. So, yeah, and uh, I love the fact that like he, that Brandon's stirring up stuff between Janet and uh, Kenneth, and it's just like, 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 dude, you're just, like you're drawing so much attention to yourself, man. Like you, you could get away with this so easily. Stop doing this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he he wanted to get caught. Yeah. And and of course just like in every kind of like almost like in dial up for murder, what like Jimmy Stewart fires the gun, the car, cop cars approach, Brandon makes himself a drink. It's like, all right, I'm gonna get caught. Yep. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have one less brandy before I get taken away in a in a paddy wagon. <laughs> yep. I mean, that's like the one good thing about Hitchcock's villains. They're most they're pretty classy. To the most point, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, you know, like, of course, like, Hitchcock came from, like, a kind of low-to-middle-class background. It's like, it's like, is he demonizing the upper, upper echelon? No, by the time at this point in his career, he was the upper echelon anyway. <laughs> Very much so. So, I mean, like, you could maybe say, like, and it's a statement on, like, like the, the bad guys are not all, like, the drooling, like, hobos or anything, or just, like, people on the outside. Like, yeah, like, even, like, the nicest people you would see next door could be the bad guy, and we'll get into that kind of later on with one of my movies, but final thoughts on Rope. Uh, it's it's a movie I I feel that every everybody who's a film fan should see, because it is, technically, it was, it was, it was a, it was... Hitch pushing pushing things out. What can I do? What can I get away with? You know, on the on the tech side of the things, um, it is the acting is top notch, and it is just a marvelous story. Gotcha, gotcha. And it's funny, like I usually like I understand like doing like long takes in movies and everything, and of course you have you have like the opening to Halloween, which is three shots strung together, or you have like, right. the. Uh, Copacabana steady cam shot in Goodfellas, and then but then you have like people like who push it to an an ungodly amount where you have like uh, Alfonso Cuarón like doing that in like Children of Man or Gravity, and at that point I'm like, all right, I think you're going a little too far there. Uh, I'm just like, or or you have the ultimate, which is that opening tracking shot in Touch of Evil. Oh yeah, but, I, I, I mean, uh. <laughs> I mean. I mean, that's another movie I could talk about for hours, but I mean, like... Oh, yeah. But at least that built on a conceit of tension for you. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. And you wonder, is this shot going to... How long is this shot going to last? How long is that timer going to last for that bomb? Oh, it's so good. And, and anyway, so, yeah. Um, moving on uh, to my number three, North by Northwest. Oh, and, Interesting. Yes, and I guess you can kind of guess what my number two and one is. Um, but, yeah, like, this is something I did not see uh, until college, and my actually, my funny enough, my ex, like, got this for me because it's like, you've seen North by Northwest, right? And I'm like, 
No. And then I think it was just like a like a kind of like a gift because when I was up at school, she got that for me and got me the DVD for it. And and I, but I I found out later that I'd seen at least a few minutes of it on TCM one night, out of context, not knowing what it was when I was much younger. And of course, North by Northwest tells the story of Cary Grant being. Um, perceived to be a man named Kaplan, and and it gets into this kind of whole weird espionage plot to get this microfilm back that doesn't really mean anything because it's a MacGuffin. Right. And, for people, and people who haven't gone this far, a MacGuffin is something that the story needs to propel it forward, but doesn't really mean anything. It's the money in Psycho. It's the microfilm in this. Um, it's almost. It's it's the. It's David's body and rope. He's the MacGuffin to get the story forward and everything. Yep. But and and this whole trip across America to prove his innocence and how everything gets worse and worse and how everything escalates to the point that he's hanging off the side of Mount Rushmore trying to prove his innocence and save the girl at the end. But my favorite scene is the first time Cary Grant and uh, James Mason come face to face. They come into the room and they circle each other, and like as Mason like kind of like dresses him down, trying to figure out like, so you're a Kaplan, you're the mysterious man that's been following me the entire time. It's like I don't know who this Kaplan is. You have the wrong guy, and the kind of verbal duel, and then of course the great late great Martin Landau comes in, and it's like it'd be much easier if you drink this on your own, and of course they just get. Completely shit faced by pouring right. the entire bottle down his throat. Right. Somehow his suit's completely clean, but we'll go with that. All right. Right. Um, and of course, like I, I, I will always laugh is when he's actually arrested by the Glen Clove uh, Police Department, which is actually it's like forty five minutes not too far from me. And I kind of want to see if that house that they use the exterior on, if it's still there. And oh. when he gets arrested, he calls his mother of all people. He doesn't call his lawyer. He calls his mother, and he's like. Mother, it's Roger Thornhill. Yes, sir, I, I am not that drunk. Where am I? And just how him really shit-faced, like, and asking for help. Uh, I, I will always crack up at it. And then he's like, you throw a book at him, throw him a book and a bottle, and passing out on the police. Love it. And Bernard Herman's, like, score, Saul Bass's music, and, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I really adore this movie. I enjoy North by Northwest. It is it is it is a great movie. It is a fun movie. Um, I do believe that Burt Reynolds, every time he plays drunk, he's 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 aping Cary Grant. <laughs> yes. Um, it's it's it, it's it, it's a fun movie. It's a good movie. I do really enjoy it. Obviously, it didn't crack my spoilers. It, it didn't crack my top ten. Huh. Um, I would say my favorite scene is the auction scene. Ooh, good choice. Uh, and of course, like with Cary Grant, is like messing with them, like throwing up the fake auction as he goes, right? <laughs> and like that for that piece of junk, and just disturbing it, and just drawing more and more attention to everything. <laughs> just great. Oh, oh, I mean, another like moment I really love, of course, is when he gets to the UN and he finds the person that whose house he went to last night. And he gets the knife in the back, and just like it. It's a joke that's brought up in the movie Clue. He grabs the knife and he pulls it out of the guy's back and gets his picture taken with it. Like, 
like, don't touch that. It's evidence as Colonel Mustard grabs the knife itself. And I'm like, <laughs> right. like oh, all right, then why'd you grab it, guy? I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, guy. Um, <laughs> but, um, and uh, how could, like, of course, the crop duster sequence. Right, right, which is probably uh, outside of the shower scene in Psycho. I would probably say the crop duster scene is probably his most iconic scene. Yeah. And that's something I would love to see on the big screen. Yeah, even even that just one that one scene, and of course it starts super wide up in the air when he's just standing there. It's with the one other person on the side of the road, and I mean, just you know, just like you said, the psych, this the uh, shower scene. Like, how many times has that scene been parodied? Oh, oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm just imagining, like, I'm just saying, like, all right, South Park's done it, uh, Simpsons has done it, Family Guy's done it, um, probably a myriad of others that's not coming to mind right now. Pretty much every single spoof movie ever has has that scene in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, North by Northwest, I recommend it in the highest form possible. I mean, get the Blu-ray of it. I mean, it's just a shot in Vista Vision. It is gorgeous. Robert Burke it really is. crushes it. It is. This is this is another one where the colors really pop. I mean, the wow, the colors are great in this movie. Yeah, and I love like it's one of my favorite shots of the movie is when he it's a matte painting and it's a, above the UN when Thornhill runs out, right? And he gets in the cab, and I just I'm like, I know it's a painting, I don't care. It's still gorgeous. It, it's amazing that a movie. I'm gonna say. It's amazing that most of the movies that we've talked about, if not all of them, are so crisp on Blu-ray. It is amazing how old how old these movies are and how crisp they are on Blu-ray. It's just stellar. Yeah, I mean, like like the latter half of Hitch's career, he had like one cinematographer, Robert Burke, who photographed most of his movies, at least a dozen of them right. between the 50s and 60s. And, of course, he had, like, the same people, like, Alfred Whitlock did a lot of the mad paintings in Marnie and the Birds. I'm not sure if he did North by Northwest. And there's, like, some listeners going to be like, excuse me, it was uh, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, all right, sorry, guy. That little piece of trivia <laughs> escaped me. I apologize. Anyway, moving on. Your next movie. Uh, my number two is Strangers on a Train. Huh. Um. Oh, I love this movie. <laughs> I I I absolutely love Strangers on a Train. It is, and I and I've I've used this a lot in our con, in our conversation. But the cat and mouse between the two main characters is just phenomenal. It is it it is just priceless. Um, the chance meeting the. How off, you know? I mean, he's he's off. He, there's, there's <laughs> the, the, I mean, I mean, the fairly Granger character, even he knows he's off, and he's like, "Yeah, I need to step away," you know. Um, and and I, I'm like you, I'm not a tennis guy, but I'm telling you what, never in your in my life have I been on the edge of my seat so much in a tennis match as that last. Um. That last test match that he ha- he has to he, he just wants to get out so he can go stop him from finding the the from planting the lighter yeah um, you know it um, but my favorite shot and another one that's going to get become my favorite shot because of a because of the technical aspect is the murder viewed through the glasses yeah that is absolute genius I I get chills just thinking about how great that scene it is just oh it's priceless. 
Uh, and I'm like, and I'm like, I know, like, there's some characters like you want to die in movies, but oh, oh so my Granger's ex-wife in that movie, I'm like, I'm so happy when Robert Walker just like strangle her. Like, I yeah. know it's gonna screw everything up, but like, she's a terrible person. She's so terrible. And you're just like, oh, and like, like, I, like, I'm literally just making my hands out like to choke my microphone here. I'm just like, oh god, like, oh, and. I love how you brought that shot of, like, the reflection in the, the glasses. I'm like, another one that's been kind of ripped off so many times. Like, the biggest one I can think of right now is in Casino when De Niro and Joe Pesci decide to meet out in the desert. And you see oh. the reflection of, of Pesci's car across uh, De Niro's glasses. That may be that, – that, that, that glassy shot – I can't even say it. That is my favorite shot in any Hitchcock film. I absolutely love that shot because it's just – it it on a technical aspect it's just amazing but it's it's the it's the it's the the hint that it's giving you that you're seeing something really dirty you know that you have to see it through the glasses you can't see it straight on you've got to see it through the glasses that's just oh i just love yeah my favorite shot ever in a hitchcock film and then, of course, later on, when Walker meets him outside, uh, reads uh, Granger outside his house, and he's just top lit from the street lamp. He's hiding in the darkness behind, like, the fence. And I'm like, it's... Yeah. Oh, man. Like, this one I do not own on Blu-ray yet, but I really need to get it there. I don't have that one on Blu-ray either. Um, but, I need to get it, but I got to wait till I get out of college again before I start buying Blu-rays again, so... <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, but I'm just like, am I was thinking about it, like oh, this is gorgeous, and of course I love the introduction to them because we both see their feet walking in opposite directions until they collide right. with each other on the train. And this this plot's been used so many times. I mean, hell, I think like uh, CSI, like the first the original CSI, like parodied like this in an episode at one point. They right, kind of said, right. And they, these characters got the idea from this movie, and I'm trying to think like. There's got to be a, a remake of this, or at least these ideas in another movie more recent than this. I'm trying to think of now. Um, Fincher, and I don't know if he still, had, but he was planning on doing a remake of this. Um, huh. With with Ben Affleck and somebody else, um, and I hope it's still because I because if I think anybody can do a a, a Hitchcock remake, it, it, it's Fincher. Because I mean, if you've seen Gone Girl, <laughs> oh yeah. I, oh, um, I think Finch, and I'd I'd be really curious to see what he how he does that uh, Strangers on the Train. I, I I don't think it ever top Hitch because, like I said, Hitch is the master for a reason. But I'd really be curious. I mean, Panic Room is pure Hitchcock. Oh yes, oh yes, oh that's 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 Fincher totally delving into his Hitchcock roots. So delving into it. It's, and it's great. It's a great movie. It really is. And it, I feel like it gets lost in the shuffle. It does, it, I think it does too. I, um, I, it very much does get lost in the shuffle. And, and I mean, like, I, well, I love Jared Leto's performance. I forced Whitaker is tremendous in it. And like, Little has, Kristen Stewart. And I, I, and I know every, she's hated by everybody, but she's been pulling, been holding her own big names since she started, and they, she held her own great in that movie with Forrest and Jodie Foster. I mean, it, she was great. Oh yeah, and, and of course I love the I love like because Fisher doesn't use slow motion that often, 
No. But, but when he used that in that one sequence, when Jodie Foster leaves the panic room to get the phone, like, like Hitchcock, it is pure tension right there. Right. Right. Oh, right. Oh, and you and and you can't and you can't mention uh, Panic Room without calling out Dwight Yoakam as just an absolute psychopath and scary and really good at doing it. Yeah, I was trying to think of his name. And I'm like, fuck. I'm like, I'm like, what's his name? What's his name? Like, ah, uh, maybe let my hopefully guy knows it. But I was like, as Raul, the creepiest yeah. dude of the ski mask. <laughs> right. He is so. And Dwight Yoakam's a good actor. He um. He's been in several movies that I've totally enjoyed him in, and but yeah, he's great in this movie. I actually just saw him recently in Logan Lucky as the warden in, in the prison that's in that movie, uh-huh. and he's hilarious in it. Nice. Like at one point where like there's a prison like uprising and they they're holding guards hostages, and one of the guys is like, "I want to know what happens at the end of Game of Thrones." Like I don't know, I can't get that information to you, like. Well, one of these guys knows a little bit more about this. That was in the TV show. That never happened in the books. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And, they, <laughs> and the conversation ends like that. I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. That's funny. <laughs> um, but now, like, now you're saying that like Fincher doing a remake of Strangers on a Train. I kind of want that more than his World War Z sequel. Oh, I, 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 I'm interested to see what he does with World War Z because I like Fincher. He's, he would be in my top ten of directors. Uh, but yeah, I, I would really like to see what he does with Strangers on a Train. Yeah, I mean, like the one like the one really good thing I liked about World War Z, uh, two things. One, when I first saw it in theaters when they cut to the established shot of Newark, New Jersey, like on fire and uprising. I lean oh, over right. to my I lean over to my buddy Ryan, I'm like, That looks like Newark every other day. Who are they kidding? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and we both oh, laugh um I hate to cut you off before I forget. Um Throw Mama from the Train is a remake of Trains on a Train. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Oh man, I just really just had oh, a face palm moment. Like that's what. Can we? And I, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but if I wouldn't have, I would have forgot it myself. <laughs> no, it's all it's all good. Um, and then of course the ending of World War Z is like it's pure Hitchcock and his, his tension. It was like it's like oh, yeah. the it's like the how I described it. It's um, it's if you took the kitchen scene from Jurassic Park and extended it for thirty minutes. That's right. The ending right. of World War Z. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, any last thoughts on Strangers on a Train? Um, if you've never seen it, go see it now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. And moving on to my number two, it is Psycho. Oh, Psycho. I mean, I mentioned this on my top 15 favorite horror movies uh, podcast when I did with Andy. I realized, like, I look around my room, I have two posters of Psycho in my room. And I didn't realize that until recently. I'm like, I never realized that. I have two of them. Uh, and like one of them is like the traditional poster with Janet Lee. One's kind of like a fan-made one. When I saw it on the big screen, this is kind of promotional material that was given out. And oh, it's just nice. It's a it's a nice artist rendering of uh, Mrs. Bates when she's revealed at the end. Oh, uh, nice. And so, yeah, I saw this when I was like, this is like one of the first movies I actually watched in the VHS collection that my granddad gave me. And I think my dad did this on purpose. I'm watching it. I get up to the shower scene. and I'm like. And I'm like petrified. My dad comes out like, "Did you take a shower yet?" And I'm like, "I'm not taking a shower for the rest of my life." <laughs> no, I'm not getting in there. I was terrified. Like even like just recently, like I, I took a shower when I had the house to myself, and I heard something creak in the hallway, and I'm like, "I never felt so vulnerable right now." And I felt really scared. And I'm like, "I mean, what can what can I say that has not been said about this? It is, it is." Limitations put on a great filmmaker and still coming out with a phenomenal movie. 
I mean, we've seen. Well, he financed it himself. Yes. I mean, like he, he gambled on it because he wanted yeah. to tell this movie. And, and of course, Psycho, based on the Edward Locke novel, there was kind of like a, a, a interpretation of Ed Gein. Which I've heard the I've heard the novel's terrible, um, and there's also a rumor that he bought up all the all the copies of Psycho as possible so he could so the the ending wasn't revealed. Which I I can totally see that happening because he oh, was so it. especially with especially the marketing and oh, the release so of the movie. I mean, like nobody will be allowed into the movie theater after the movie has begun, right? And, and I think that's such an like such a novel thing, and I, it's. I mean, like I we, said, playing the audience before they even step in the theater. I mean, like if you heard that today, like or like say something like Christopher Nolan said, like okay, my next movie, nobody's allowed into it until after the movie begins. Everybody who's either not a Nolan fan or just a movie fan in general will be like, "Why is that? Why would you want to do that?" Yeah. So you immediately have buzz built around it. Yeah, and. I think probably my favorite scene is either it's a toss-up between Janet Lee and Anthony Perkins having the conversation in the parlor in the back of his office. Because it's and a how, great scene. And how it turns. Yeah. And, and I love how the fact that, because, like, from a filmmaker's perspective, like, he has, he shoots them in singles, and when their conversation is in one emotion, it's one shot. When it changes, they, Hitchcock goes to tighter angles on both of them. Yes, and stays on them. Yeah, and gets and we gets even more attention. It gets even to a tighter shot of either of them, especially in a, it almost becomes a profile shot of of uh, of uh, Norman with the birds in the background, like and the owl like overhanging him. And then when he returns back to a normal self, it goes back to the wider first shot. And I'm like that's really ingenious editing at that point. Well, and he's the king of perspective. He really is Hitchcock. Yeah. And and especially like and I was watching it. I was watching Vertigo last night, where when it's the first scene after the opening, and it's just him and Mitch that's kind of having the conversation. Oh yeah. And how it goes to the very first big close up of Mitch when they when uh, Scotty brings up the fact that they were engaged at one point. Oh right, right. And and she she kind of looks up slowly and sidebar says, since we're not bringing up Vertigo and the rest of this, I feel bad for her. I feel really <laughs> bad for her. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. She was just as obsessed. Don't don't feel too bad about her because she was obsessed with with uh, Jimmy's character just as much as I mean. This Vertigo has so many layers, and the, the only reason it really doesn't make my top ten is because it is really uncomfortable to watch for me because it's it the obsession is so oh my god just too much. I mean, she does. She even drives by his house at one yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, she's this is obsessed. So you can't feel too bad for her because it, it her her story parallels Jimmy's character story. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's because like I'm kind of like, a she's just a very beautiful woman, and she has glasses, oh, yes. like and like glasses, like women with glasses is kind of like my kryptonite. I'm like I, I'm like I, <laughs> I'm sorry, like that's what like the, like my exact glasses, like that's like the first thing I know is I'm like, Duh, like I'm like like you're pretty because you got glasses. You're a, you're no a, no no it, no no. Leave your glasses on. Yep. <laughs> Leave them on. Leave them on. <laughs> your inability to see is sexy to me. I'm <laughs> <laughs> it puts me in a larger light. <laughs> 
and I've gone full scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, if it was like, well, of course we get like, get, oh wait, so that's a psycho. We have to bring up like, has to get that uh, feeling about it. So you know what? Might as well. Uh, yeah. But anyway, back to Psycho. Um, and my other favorite scene is when Arbogast is going up to Norman Bates' mother's room. Yeah. And we see the door open, the beam of light comes out, and it cuts to the high-angle shot of Mrs. Bates coming out, stabbing Arbogast, and he falls back the, the, back the flight of stairs. And it's funny, because I saw um, that actor, I forget the actor's name of it, um... I, I'm terrible with names, so yeah, I, I'm not gonna know either. Uh, but uh, I, then I saw him in. Uh, then I saw the actor in. Um, what was it? Uh, Martin Balsam. Martin Balsam. Oh, okay. Uh, he was the jury foreman in Twelve Angry Men, and when they brought up the knife of the murder that's in that movie, I'm like, keep it away from Martin Balsam. He's gonna, he got stabbed <laughs> in the last nice one he saw. All right, everybody, be careful here. Uh. Um, and of course, then you have the. I always wondered about the, like the psychoanalyst that comes out at the end and explains everything to uh, everybody. But that was his, that was his realizing that there's a lot of stupid people in the world that would not understand. Yeah, that's that, that's what it was. I don't think Hitch would have put it in there if he thought people would get it. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, so he did kill him. Yes. And, and no. no. <laughs> like what? Let me light this cigarette. Hold on. <laughs> so let me explain this to you. <laughs> like, do you have any unsolved murders on your case books? Like, yes. Now I'm just imagining just like a uh, guy who hosts uh, America's uh, Most Wanted just doing that scene now for for some odd reason to see have him deliver that. Just, oh like, yeah, me- Walsh, Walsh, Walsh. I can't remember his first name. But very melodramatically explaining. Yeah. To, like, um, and I mean, even from the very first be- the beginning uh, with Janet Lee and. Um, uh, and like Sam Loomis in the uh, meeting in the uh, hotel, and I love—I always love the line like, "Oh, we can have a steak dinner." If, yes, with with my sister and my mother's picture on the wall. We send sisters to the movie theater. We turn mother's pictures to the wall. Sam, right, right, all right. right. I'm sorry. I'm like, I just I always love that exchange. Well, and <laughs> and it's great. And 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 anybody worth their salt realizes that. It, in the scene where she's with Sam, even though you know it's it's at that time it was not it was frowned upon that kind of 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 activity. She's in the white, but once she has the money, her underwear is in the black. You know, yeah. she's crossing that line. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just the subtle things that he puts in that, like, just and like I said, it's it's the perspective, right? And he's and- really good at changing yours. It's funny that you mentioned that is because when I took an acting class when I was going to a community college, we had to do perform a song pretty much. Well, not like kind of like a sing along song and tell a story with a song in the background. Like I came out in one set of clothes in white, and then I left in all black. And that like, and I had that in the back of my mind, like because Janet Lee did like that, and the kind of the story I told with that. And once my scene was done, the director got onto the stage and he asked, like, "All right, tell me what the story is," and like. Nobody like got that, but someone until one person like he changed the color of his clothes. Something bad probably happened. He's like, "There you go." And I'm like, "Yep, I, I, I admit it." Like, yeah, I took the idea from Jan Lee and Psycho, and then I used that yeah. into the scene. But yeah, so and I got I got a chance to see this and Psycho two back to back on the big screen on thirty five millimeter film recently, and 
I, I said it before, there's people in front of me that was like, oh, who had never seen it before, and I was so envious of them. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, and I knew, I realized that they were never seen it before because when Arbogast got killed, they jumped. And I'm like, oh, you've never seen this before. I'm like, oh, oh, this is going to be awesome. And so I was just watching their reaction just as much as I was watching the movie itself. It's right. kind of like, it's kind of like, oh, another time recently, small tangent, then I'll stop talking. Um, <laughs> no, you're good. I saw Robocop on the big screen recently, and there was, there was two couples in front of my friend and I. It was obviously the guys had seen it before, and they bragged that he, they brought their girlfriends along to see it. And when Kenny is blown away by Ed 209 in the boardroom. Oh, right. And they're both in shock as he's being torn apart by bullets. And I'm like, oh, my God, you have no idea what you're in for right now. This is going to be amazing. Right. And so, yeah. Anyway, Psycho, my number two. Absolutely love it. And I had the feeling we're going to have the same number one. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you go first. Um, Rear Window, my second favorite movie of all time. Um, it is, it, it, it's pure genius because not only do you get the main story, but you get everybody's window story and you get a resolve in everybody's windows. You know, it, um, Grace Kelly, probably the most beautiful woman who's ever walked the earth, never looked better than she does in this movie. Um, it, it, it's a class in mystery. It's a class in tension. It's a class in acting. Um, um, the t- technical aspect because uh, hitched it all his direction from Jimmy's room. Um, and he uh, um, walkie-talkie to everybody else. You know, I mean, just, just it's just an amazing movie. I. It's hard for me to talk about this movie because I, I end up stumbling over myself <laughs> because I love it so much that it's hard to bring up everything about it I love. Um, most people who know me would think that either my favorite scenes would involve Miss Torso, um, <laughs> which, I, I mean, you can't lie. I mean, Miss Torso is, is definitely a pull. Um, but I... As as great as that movie is, and uh, my favorite scene is the first time you see Grace Kelly when when Jimmy opens her, his eyes and there she is. I mean, just oh god, <laughs> oh, just an amazing. Just, I mean, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like, if I had to put a compilation of like my favorite shots in movie history. It's her leaning into that close-up is one oh, of them. Yes, yeah, so oh my goodness, she is. Uh, it's just, I mean, because you're looking at her and you're just, you're in awe. You know, <laughs> I mean, we're talking sixty-three years tonight. You know how old this movie is, and she's been dead for a long time, and you're still going, oh yeah, I do the bones. You know, <laughs> I mean, she's just absolutely gorgeous, and and it's just the way Hitchcock frames her in that and the way she kind of you know leans down kind of out of focus kind of um angel erythro like you know it's just just oh, it's great i mean 
what can I say? Like, yeah, this is my favorite Hitchcock movie. It's in my top ten favorite movies. Um, it is. I it's it's a perfect example of every filmmaking department firing on all cylinders. Oh, for sure. I mean, it is, and I I I love like the big, I love the big, like I said, North by Northwest, or like the big like transcending movies. There, Hitchcock's going across the world, or Rebecca, which is like even though it takes place in a big mansion and everything, such a good movie. But I'm like, I love the, I love the claustrophobia of this, but I also love, I love this so much humor. There's so much humanity in this. I mean, hell, this morning, uh, I'm getting dressed to go to work, and I'm like, and I'm like thinking about Rear Window. I'm like, which personality am I like right now? And I'm like, I'm, I'm Miss Lonely Hearts right now. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 I had to sit down for a second. Like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm running late here, but I'm like, huh, I'm Miss Lonely Hearts. Like, this is, this isn't good. Like, all right, I gotta shake this off. I gotta have a good day here. And, um. It's funny that you bring up Miss Torso because the only shot that's taken outside of Jimmy's perspective is when uh, the married couple um, uh, verbally lashes out on everybody when the dog's yes. dead. Yep. And the only shot that comes out of Jimmy's apartment is actually on the ground in the courtyard looking up at Miss Torso. Yeah. And yeah. – uh, and I love, I love like Miss Torso's like husband comes home from the war. <laughs> it's a little skinny piscord dude too. He's, he's, piss- ra- he's radar. <laughs> She's dating radar. <laughs> right. Um, I love the fact that all the music is not a soundtrack. It's the ambient sound. It's yes. it's coming from the other part. It, all the sound, all, every is coming from the other part. That's just that's just genius to me. That's just. It's just amazing to me that that's the, and you never really realize it if if, if someone pointed it out to me, they're like, oh, that it's all ambient sound, and I and I'm like, oh, and you know, because this is when I was younger, I was like, oh my god, it is. I've never realized that before. Holy crap, that's just genius to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to think of my favorite scene. Like it could be either when it's. Is Jeffries and it's Grace Kelly and um, uh, I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of the woman's name. Uh, Stella. They're all all on the same page of like how did they get and how did the man across the street get his wife out of there? And like and so I was like no 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 chopped her up and put her in into a the suitcase and brought her. <laughs> Stella, you don't have to be so cruel. Like nobody's made a nice word about murder yet. And Stella's I just great. I love Stella. And it's, Stella I mean, like she is great. And she, she puts Jefferson in his place every chance she gets. <laughs> when when he's watching the, the, the two bikini babes across, and she's like, window shopper. <laughs> I just, <laughs> just like, that's just great. Oh, man. And then, what was it? And of course, you have Perry Mace himself as the bad guy. <sighs> so good. And, 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 well, and that scene where she's across, and she and the cops are there, and... And he's there, and she points at the ring, and he catches her pointing at the ring, and then he looks over and sees Jimmy, and is like, "Ooh, the gig's up, man!" Oh. Yeah. And then when he's in the apartment by himself, and you hear him coming up the stairs, right? And, and, and you're like, "Oh God!" Like he's got nowhere to go. What can he do? And he's so smart, and he grabs his photography equipment to defend himself. 
and I wrote a story where a character is being attacked by somebody, and the woman's a photographer, and she uses her flash to temporarily blind her attacker. And I'm like, and my friend like read it. It's like I really liked it. Like, where'd you come up with it? I'm like, I totally ripped it off Rear Window, by the way. Well, uh, and, and and the way that Hitch makes you look out of out of uh, um um. I can't, I can't remember. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, the, the killer's eyes. Oh, the killer's eyes. Um, oh, um, crap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Raymond Burr. Raymond Burr. Burr yeah. you're looking at Ray, Raymond Burr's, and and you're looking out of his eyes with everything focusing in and out and the color. I just that's just. I mean, uh, people of today take this stuff like that for granted, or they they look at oh, well that's kind of cheesy. Well, like, no, that's genius for that time. That's great storytelling. Great filmmaking because the limitations were so small back then oh yeah and then of course uh, another moment i love is when doyle comes over to jeffrey's apartment and grace kelly's getting changed in the background and doyle just walks around the apartment and sees like her stuff around and jeffrey's like don't you start doyle and it's like that kind of like i know what you what's going on here right now i'm not going to say anything it's just like i really love that i mean Ah, I mean, like I said, like there's something I can go on for hours upon hours. Oh. Uh, and it's funny, like I have this one, like I found a poster for Wheel Window, like instead of like a the tall ones, it was kind of a wide poster. Oh, like, nice. Oh. And I'm like, oh, I, I'm like, where the hell am I going to put that? And I look over, I already have a wide poster of like Reservoir Dogs up here, and I'm like, I'm like, do I get rid of that to put in Rear Window? Yes. And uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. That's that's fair. I mean, yeah, I think I'm going to have to do that eventually. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, all right then. So, yeah, that is our top ten. Um, do you have any other recommendations of other Hitch movies that didn't make your top ten that we all, that almost made your list? Um, I, I got a controversial one. Um, Topaz, the, the full director's cut version. Uh, a lot of people very much dislike that movie, but it's, it's, it's a <sighs> – it's a sprawling epic, and it's Hitch stepping out of his comfort zone, and it's worth the watch to see Hitch do that. Um, I would I would recommend Rebecca, although you can you can definitely feel Selznick's hands in the mix on that one. Yeah. Um, oh, I Saboteur. I, I anything out of the masterpiece collection. Um, Family Plot, which is another one of his um, his comedies, it's not as good in my opinion as The Trouble with Harry, but it's 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 still good. Um, man, Forest Correspondent. I mean, I, I I recommend any Hitch film, um, even even Torn Curtain, which is for me by far his weakest. Yeah, I, I'll have to agree with that. Despite having, um, damn, I'm trying to. Think, what the hell's his name now? Paul uh, Newman Paul and Newman. Julie Andrews. Paul Newman, Mike Paul, Mike Paul, Paul, like crap. What's his last name? Paul Newman. Yes. Um, and I, and I I enjoy Topaz. I mean, we have John Vernon, the principal from Animal House, and the the mayor, right. Dirty Harry, as in, yeah. And I'm like, and that's another, and that has one of my favorite shots in Hitchcock movies when he murders his lover. And it's oh, a top-down yeah. angle, and she falls down to the it, ground, and her dress... And the dress brawls out. So wonderful. And that one, the colors pop, but there's a reason, because he's trying to tell the story through colors. 
So, um, yeah, it's, it, I, I enjoy it. Yeah. And, and the reason I say Tor because Paul Newman and Julie Andrews have no chemistry at all. I mean, no. two of what, some of the most beautiful people on the planet and they, and they, and they no chemistry at all. And there's been stories and I don't know how, you know, because obviously a lot of this is told after the fact that, um, they both clashed with Hitchcock, which a lot of people did. Hitchcock had a vision and he was, you know, I mean, he was a brute. I, we're not going to, there's, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Yes. <laughs> Hitchcock was a brute. Yes. He was, he pushed his actors, but I, there's, there's been stories that there was a lot of clashing between the three of them. So, and it shows on that film. It really does. You can see it. Um, it's still worth the watch, but in my opinion, it's, it's, it's his weakest. Yeah. I mean, uh, from ones that I recommend, I recommend, I confess with my Montgomery Cliff. Oh, that's so good. Um, the wrong man with Henry Fonda. I really enjoy. Yeah. Uh, what else? I'm like trying to think. Uh, I, even though I'm not the biggest fan of Vertigo, I think the second half is a little bit, I don't think, I don't think Vertigo deserves the recognition it gets. I mean, a lot of people say that it's like, it's Hitchcock's best movie. It's like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to have to challenge you to a bare knuckle boxing match for that. But okay. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, like, this is a hill I'm willing to die on. This is not what, that's not his, um, what else? Another thing I really enjoy. I mean, um, 39 steps. 39 Steps is really good. I'm trying to think what else. I, I, have the, I actually have the Masterpiece Collection right next to me. Um, like, I also really enjoy Saboteur. Marnie, I mean... Marnie, Marnie's, Marnie's a slow burn. And, it, and in an odd way, it's a companion piece to Psycho. It's the female version, just not... Um, it's, the murder's not there. You know, it's, it's, it's not... It's, it's, but it's a companion piece of, of, of mother issues... You know, but from the female side. Yeah, and I need—I actually need to see *The Catch a Thief*. I have not seen it yet. *The Catch a Thief* is good. Um, Everybody—I know a lot of people think that *Hitched* is best work with Cary Grant. I am not of that mind. Um, I—I I, I tend to find that I enjoy the stuff he does, but I don't think it compares to anything he did with Jimmy Stewart at all. Yeah, I, I think of. Somebody pointed out to me, and I think it's a really good at, um, observation. Cary Grant is the person he wanted to be. He strived to be. Right. Jimmy Stewart was who he was. Yes. Yeah, I would, I would say that. I would say that. Um, that, makes, that makes sense. What else? I also, I also really like Rebecca. I even like Suspicion, even though the ending's kind of weak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Suspicion... Ha- the DVD I have of of uh, Strangers on a Train is coupled with Suspicion, um, and it and it's a good movie. Um, but and it's and it's Hitch playing with his tropes and trying to find his groove. If you, if you, if you want my honest opinion, you know, on yeah. that movie. But it's still it still better than Torn Curtain. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, Notorious, I really dig. Yes. Uh, of course, lifeboat. But yeah, of course, we can go on and on. But uh, we'll start wrapping up here. All right. Hey, well, let me say real quick. Even though I've been bagging on Torn Curtain, I still think people should see it because it's still Torn Curtain is still better than a lot of stuff that gets released today. It's totally. still better than most directors' catalog. I'm just in in the Hitchcock catalog. It's his weakest. Right. 
And actually, going back to something you said before, that like every filmmaker has a Hitchcock movie in them, whether oh, overt yes. or inadvertently. And I actually have my Quentin Tarantino section to my collection to my right side of my computer. Curious, what's his Hitchcock movie? Hmm. In, your, in your opinion. Well, a... I would, I would go with Jackie Brown. Huh. Why do you say that? Um, it's, it's, it's a heist movie that plays on some, some of the Hitchcockian tropes, and it's, and it forces you to take different perspectives of things. Mm-hmm. Because, because, because I would say, and, and the other one I would say would probably be uh, Reservoir Dogs. Because of, yeah. uh, because of the tension building, you know, um, Spielberg has several Hitchcock films. <laughs> yeah, um, Coen Brothers have a couple. I uh, but I think they're probably most overtly one is Blood Simple. Oh yeah, I mean, like if you take like it's it's so much like Hitchcock, it's so much like Billy Wilder or like, oh, Blood yeah. Simple anyway, or even like yeah, that even that that one Evil Dead shot in there, and I'm just like. And I was like, yeah, like it's such a Sam Raimi shot of like that one like super wide shot that goes right across the the front lawn into the close up of Dan Hedaya and Francis McDormand. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, right. Man. In fact, I would say a lot of Coen Brothers films are very Hitchcockian. Yeah. And I mean, like hell, like so much of the stuff that I write and that's built upon suspense. I always think of that when I'm writing down when I'm sitting there. I'm like, all right. How would Hitch tell this story? And I'm like, all right, dialogue, all right, chuck that out. For the most part, chuck it out because he would tell it with the camera. He'd tell it with emotion. Oh, like, yeah. All right. Oh. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, he was, all, he was all about show, don't tell, which is why I say that that, that ending scene with the psychoanalysis was because Hitch thought the audience was dumb because he was all about show, not tell. Yeah. And then, of course, then you have the um, – the conversation that mother has with, with Norman at the end, like his internal monologue. That, that, now that, that's definitely a scene that needed to be there. And it's so good. <laughs> like they're probably watching me right now. I won't even swat that fly. Like, ah, oh, it's so chilling. Yes. But, uh, yeah. Um, and also I, one thing I'd say, I'd say check out the movie Hitchcock with Anthony Hopkins. I mean, it's a great movie. Think, great movie. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting to see the kind of the behind the scenes of the making of Psycho. I also recommend the book Hitchcock and Truffaut. I would recommend watching the the actual interview too. Um, yeah, which it is pieced out throughout the masterpiece collection. So if you have the masterpiece collection, you pretty it's I don't think it's all there, but I think most of it's there. Um, it's it's really interesting to watch those two talk to each other. Oh, yeah, it's like a master class from both of them. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I mean, like, I would just, I would love just to have been a fly on the wall while that conversation was going on. Yeah, 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 I want to hear the stuff that they didn't put on film. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the stuff they didn't show, because that would be really interesting. Right. I mean, that's the same thing, like, I would love to, like, maybe it's just because I just love Transport Your Phone, like, I would love to see the behind-the-scenes stuff of, like, him and Spielberg on Close Encounters just having a conversation <sighs> while things are right. going on. right. Oh man! I mean, that's why I'm so happy. Close Encounters is back in theaters for this week. For this week, and I'm going to try and get to the theater to see that. But anyway, um, any final thoughts do you have? Um, if you're a film head, and and you, 
And yes, I'm biased, so Hitch is my number one. But you don't have Hitch in your at least your top ten directors. You need to revisit his stuff because there is a reason why he is why he is aped so much, why he's copied so much, why he is tributed so much, why he is called the master of suspense. I mean, there is a reason, and you really need to give him a second look because you're you're surely missing the boat if you don't have him at least in your top ten. You could you say you'd be missing the lifeboat when it comes to him, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, I got one lame joke in there. My quota is filled for tonight. Uh, all right, guys, if you want people to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Um, you can find me on the Real Fans Fate, Real Fans pages, um, the comic book, the TV, the. But I'm mostly on the music and the movie pages. Those are the two I frequent the most. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to see me stumble around Twitter, I'm uh, Galactic Scumbag. If you want to see one of the most random Instagram um, pages ever, then I am at Galactic underscore Scumbag. Nice, nice, nice. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney Two. Follow my Instagram page T Rooney Ten Twelve. It's mostly bad selfies of myself and post workout stuff. So <laughs> if, that, if that if that doesn't uh, jive with you, like I'm sorry, I can't help you. I I, I need the attention. Obviously, I miss Lonely Hearts here. Uh, <laughs> well, you've seen my Instagram page. It's it's full of offending stuff and movie stuff, and then scattered pieces of uh, me, my boys, and the snake. <laughs> yeah, but like, you, you see the photos you and your kids, like, you and your boys is just, just always really adorable, and you guys look like you're having a lot of fun, so I, like, I think people will get a lot of joy out of that. Well, I, I, I appreciate you having me on. I've become quite the podcast horror as of lately. Um, <laughs> I'm usually, I usually, you know, uh, I'm one of the original real fan guys, so I, I, I do my best to get on there, but I, I I enjoy talking stuff that that I enjoy, obviously, with people of like minds and friends of mine. So I, I enjoy I, – I'll whore myself out for that. That's fun. All right, Guy. Thank you again for being a part of this episode and talking all about Hitchcock. And, Anytime, man. No. Anytime, man. All right, then. Hopefully, maybe one day we'll, we'll just do a full review of one of these movies rather than just an overview and we'll – gush about each scene as we go along but again thank everybody i thank you everybody for listening and we'll talk to you soon